0: Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic.
1: I want to first, before we go too deep into Bitcoin versus gold versus precious commodities, and stuff, I know you've had a lot of encounters with with, um, with the notions of the purpose of wealth. I want to ask you, there's a famous line in, um, I think it's Wall Street, part one, where uh, Charlie Sheen asked Michael Douglas, you know, how many yachts? Can you water ski behind? I wanna ask you, you've been incredibly successful. What is the purpose of wealth to you, Peter Schiff?
2: Well, I think from a society perspective, because obviously on an individual basis, I mean, it's pretty obvious what the benefits of wealth are, right? I mean, we all wanna be wealthy, uh, you know, because, you know, we wanna live a better life. And the more wealth we have, you know, the the more things that we can enjoy uh, in life that aren't free. I mean, some things in life are free. Uh, but a lot of stuff uh, isn't. But I think from you know the benefit of society, like how do I benefit from somebody else's wealth? That is really the question. And is wealth something that we should fear? Because the way the left spins it, wealth is a bad thing if you don't have it. And, and somehow, when somebody has wealth, it's because they're they're hogging it or they're they're taking wealth from you that you're somehow poorer because somebody else is richer. And nothing can be further from the truth because, first of all, wealth is created. Nobody just takes wealth. I mean, unless you're a thief and you steal something. But as far as uh, most entrepreneurs, they have to create the wealth. It wasn't there until they created it. It's not like there's all this wealth and we just grab a piece of it. People have to create it. And the wealth is created by doing things, engaging in activity that benefits mankind because it's the productive capacity that is, you know, coming from that wealth. So wealth in in, in, in factories and in plant and equipment, uh, in, you know, all the things that you create and, and things that you invent that would constitute your wealth, you made that wealth by improving the lives of of other people in order to get it. And the fact that you now have wealth, you can continue to use that wealth for the benefit of, of, of humanity, uh, even if that's not your goal, your goal is just to accumulate more wealth, uh, the only way you can do that is by enriching everybody else, because that's how uh, you benefit from your wealth. You make it mm-hmm. available, you invest, uh, you, you grow the, the economy, and uh, you fund other people's businesses if you're no longer funding your own.
1: So the creation of wealth is often demonized, but but you know, on a personal level, speaking, you know you amass great wealth i sometimes think you've got kids that are very uh um devoted to you and and you know they tease you and i follow uh spencer and and they become influencers and you know we live on as woody allen said do i want to live on through my works no i want to live on in my apartment so like <laughs> given that what do you want to do with this massive wealth and army you have a shift army that's out there and it's growing every day and i count myself in the legions although we're gonna we're gonna do a little battle with some of the uh, some of the hodlers, uh, as, as we go on uh, but uh, but tell me what what is your goal like you can't water ski behind two yachts you can't live to well, 3,000 years old what do, what do you
2: personally what well, is first it to of you? all yachts are not the greatest for water skiing anyway you want a smaller boat uh, <laughs> you know that could go faster I guess you could wake surf on a yacht if it has a big enough wake. obviously you know I I am accumulating wealth the goal is, you know, just so, you know, for me to have it or for me to be able to spend some of the money and leave money to my children or their children. Um, so, but, but, but I recognize that my activities um, are benefiting others. I mean, if I didn't have any value to offer others... Uh, I would never have accumulated anything at all. That's the whole beauty of it. And that's the point where you don't want to try to tax wealth or destroy wealth. Wealth is really the seed corn that makes the economy grow. And you look at all these socialist countries where they've attacked or redistributed wealth. They end up impoverishing everybody. You know, they, they don't just make the wealthy poor. They make everybody poor and and you lose all of the benefits. So, I mean, that's why, you know, the inheritance taxes uh, one of the worst taxes out there that should be you know, abolished, the estate tax. It should be zero. You don't want to try to destroy wealth that is accumulated. You want to allow that wealth uh, to continue. And, you know, a lot of these people, these billionaires, they have so much more wealth than they could possibly spend. I mean, all of this wealth is not, uh, you know, the yachts that they're water skiing behind. I mean, most of that wealth is used to continue to grow the economy and invest in productive efforts. Uh, Some of it is used uh, to fund charitable giving or all sorts of things that could not happen absent uh, that wealth. One Mm -hmm. thing I want to point out too, because I know we're going to talk about Bitcoin later. Bitcoin ain't wealth. I mean, a lot of people, you know, look at, oh, I'm getting, look at all the wealth that we've created in Bitcoin. No wealth has actually been created in Bitcoin because Bitcoin itself doesn't do anything. It doesn't produce anything. Uh, Now there are people who are wealthier today because they own Bitcoin, but the Bitcoin themselves isn't adding. I mean, if all the Bitcoins vanished tomorrow, the world would be no worse off because they were missing. I mean, it's not like, you know, oh, no, we don't have those Bitcoin now. I mean, yes, the individuals who used to own them would would be upset that they no longer have them. Uh, But... A lot of people who are hodling, and you mentioned the hodlers, right, they have all this so-called wealth on paper. Yeah, it's on paper, right? If, if you haven't sold any of your Bitcoins, you haven't actually converted your Bitcoins to wealth. But the only way you can do that, right, if you, if you want to get actual wealth and you want to sell your Bitcoin, somebody has to buy it from you. So really what's happening is their wealth gets transferred to you. You get their wealth and they get your bitcoin. So Bitcoin is a mechanism for transferring wealth from the people who uh, own it to the people who want Bitcoin and they're willing to exchange their wealth for Bitcoin. Uh, But the Bitcoins themselves aren't any wealth. And eventually, I think, you know, the bubble pops and, you know, today it it hit 50,000. So it's, you know, a new milestone uh, in the life of the bubble. Uh, But uh, at some point, all the air comes out and all that paper wealth, well, you know, vanishes.
1: Yeah, so you know, you're meeting me for the first time, and it's asymmetric warfare because I've known you for so long and followed you (laughs) for so long. Uh, But I'm a physicist. I'm an astrophysicist. I study the origin of the universe, and one of my heroes is Galileo Galilei. Uh, And yesterday was, it would have been his 457th birthday. So he's about 400 years older than you. So happy birthday to him. Uh, But um, I wanted to, you know, the first question I was going to ask you yesterday, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. He has written some of the most valuable books in human history by virtue of the work that he put in to understand the cosmos and specifically physics. But he also had a very small book, which is actually the rarest of all his books published in 1600. And that book is called the, it's basically about a slide rule. And back then, that was the iPhone of of the generation. Very few people had slide rules, but it allowed you to do calculations even faster than the abacus that I'm sure you and I both use. Uh, But this slide rule, he goes through all the different things you can use it for. You can measure triangles. You can do length proportions. You can make copies of things. But one thing you could do is currency conversion. And I want to uh, just read a very quick passage, if you'll indulge me, uh, from this book. He talks about leaving behind what we can do. Let us say we want to convert 180 gold scudi into venetian ducats to do this to do this the only thing we need to know beforehand when we don't know the exact rate of the two currencies is how much each is worth when exchanged for a third currency soldi for for instance so he goes through this whole thing and am like, i going to shake this guy because he died pretty poor he didn't have that much money he had a bunch of illegitimate kids and ex-wives and uh mistresses that he had to support so he had to be in a business i call it galileo incorporated um but i want to shake him if i could go back in time, and say. Forget this, you know, calculation in the slide rule. Save one of these books because this book will be worth a trillion Scooty because the Scooty is worth nothing now. I mean, you can get one, you know, kind of as a showpiece. But I want to ask
2: you. Well, what was a Scooty? What was a Scooty made of?
1: a scooty was you know it was like either some you know maybe a piece of copper or some or or, or some yeah, i mean
2: it'd have to have some kind of value even as a collectible i mean how many could there still be if they were that old i mean how many of them ah, could be around sure,
1: for sure but the but these sure they books, have, <laughs> there's only there's only 46 of these books that are still in well, there,
2: yeah the books are probably even more rare if they've survived the elements i mean somebody would have had to gone out of their way to preserve it for it to be around
1: yeah so when you look at somebody like isaac newton another astronomer and physicist he uh spent most of his time you might not know this but he was the master of the mint uh in the united kingdom and one of his jobs was figuring out ways to torture counterfeiters but he's the one who came up with the idea of the fluted edge on the edge of a coin to prevent counterfeiting debasing and uh, clipping yeah yeah. So And that actually had ripple effects. It, it allowed the Jews that were living in England to no longer be under suspicion of, of
2: coin clipping, et cetera. Um, yeah. But- and you know, when the United States Mint decided to counterfeit the dimes and the quarters um, and the half dollars, it continued that tradition of, of, of having those ridges, even though there was nothing left to clip, because they <laughs> took right. all the silver out and they just uh, took a bunch of copper And, uh, you know, clad it in nickel. uh, But then they made it look like the old silver coins by putting the ridges on. And so to me, that was, you know, a pure counterfeit uh, because it was saying, hey, here's a quarter, even though there's not a quarter of a dollar in here, because a dollar was defined as a weight of silver and there was no silver in there. So it was a complete uh, counterfeit coin.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, and it's funny that we call it a quarter, a quarter of what? It was a quarter of an ounce of silver, and you can't get any silver in, in any of these pieces. of. Well, green. it was a
2: quarter of a dollar, yeah, but the dollar right. was defined by, that's what a dollar was. It was actually a, a measure of a weight of gold or silver, and that was actually legally spelled out in the Coinage Act, it was 8, uh, 1792, where they said, you know, how do you define a dollar? It's so much gold and, and so much silver.
1: And so when I think about that, you know, there's all this talk about in blockchain that the value of blockchain, we'll get to blockchain specifically later on, but is in so-called proof of work. So how much and how much computation went into the production mining of a Bitcoin? And again, we'll get into Bitcoin specifically, but I want to first take a, a mutual maybe enemy of, of, of people that are on the Bitcoin side and on the gold standard side of the gold side as you and I uh, are, um, but uh, against fiat. And I want to ask a question. When, uh, when I look at a piece of paper that has In God We Trust, it has pictures of dead presidents on it, and, uh, and it's backed by some measure of work. In the case of the US dollar, it's backed by nine US carrier battle groups. That cost (laughs) trillions of dollars to put together. Like that took a lot of work to do. Well, that's
2: not really. I mean, obviously, I mean, the U.S. dollar isn't technically at this point, or let's not call it the U.S. dollar because that's not really what it is. But they're Federal Reserve notes. And and even though they're they're not actually notes because a note is a promise to pay. And at one point, Federal Reserve notes did promise to pay dollars. They no longer promise to pay anything. You know, my father once labeled them as greenies. That's what he called them in his book, The Biggest Con. And by the way, he was a big fan of Galileo because my father and Galileo both went to jail, not yes. uh, even though that, that they didn't do anything wrong, but uh, they still went to jail. Um, but the, the greedies, as my dad called them, they're they're not backed by anything, but what they have that makes them viable right, and work as um, um, money or you, you, is that number one, they are legal tender. So, you know, everybody accepts them. The government requires that taxes be paid in, you know, greenies. And every American who doesn't want to go to jail like has to accumulate this currency in order to give it to the government. So, you know, my dad used to say if the government said we're going to, you know, you have to pay your taxes in peach pits and that's all we'll accept, then all of a sudden we'd all be accumulating peach pits because we would need them in order to pay our taxes. So there is a need for dollars because that's how you uh, pay your taxes. But then beyond that, you have this long tradition where we're using dollars. I mean, we've all grown up with dollars. Everything we buy is priced in dollars. We have some idea of what we think a dollar is worth in terms of various products. Uh, our salaries are in dollars. Our rents are in dollars. Our insurance uh, uh, policies are in dollars. Uh, you know, Everything that we do is dollarized. And so we have that tradition. And then we have confidence that I've used dollars all my life. I've always been able to buy things with dollars. I always will be able to. I recognize that there's some inflation and that over time, uh, certain things are going to require more dollars, but, you know, the dollar is going to lose that value slowly. And in the meanwhile, I can invest my money. I can try to beat inflation. But so you have all that tradition, right? None, Bitcoin doesn't have any of that, right? It's like a fiat digital currency, but with no history of being used for anything, nothing being priced in it, no contracts, no bonds, no insurance, no sovereign says, I want my taxes paid in Bitcoin, Uh, And, and, you know, it's not used in anything. It's not a commodity like gold or silver or any other commodity that is used. It's not an asset that throws off dividends or income or rent. I mean, it's nothing. But if people want to buy it, then, you know, yes, there is some artificially created uh, limit to the supply and there's no limit to the demand. So if demand keeps going up and nobody wants to sell, the price can go up until Nobody wants to buy, and then people want to sell, and the price crashes. So when is that going to happen? I mean, I don't know. Obviously, I'm not that smart.
1: <laughs> well, I think you know, there's there's been a value, and and I pointed out, you know, to some of my friends, who are like, why are you having Peter on? You know, he's been wrong. They they send you, they copy your tweets. You know, you should feel pretty pretty happy. You know, I always feel like if somebody's stalking you, Peter, you know, you should feel pretty good. People really care about you. Uh, but but you know, it's like relentless people. Oh, no he's no been no. Wrong.
2: But all all they're saying is. I'm wrong because the price of Bitcoin is going up. Look, I do admit that I didn't think Bitcoin would hit 50,000. Although I said it was possible, I doubted it would happen. And so it happened, right? But I mean, I've never said that the price of Bitcoin couldn't go up. I mean, if people are dumb enough to pay 50,000, maybe someone will be dumb enough to pay 100,000. I don't know. I don't know how how stupid people are going to be. I mean, I'm tired of, you know, I, I generally overestimate the intelligence of people. Uh, So, yeah, but I'm not wrong if the price goes up, Mm -hmm. you know, but if if you actually see Bitcoin actually being used as a medium of exchange, then you can try to say, hey, look, you're wrong. Look here. Whole societies have adopted Bitcoin. That's their medium of exchange. That's their currency. They don't use euros. They don't use dollars. They're all using Bitcoin. Show me where that's happening. In fact, I think. Fewer merchants accept Bitcoin now than did a few years ago. It was a novelty in like 2017. I mean, the novelty wore off because it, it doesn't work. And right, then they yeah. reinvented it as digital gold. They said, oh, OK, you don't really have to use it as a currency. You'll, it's just going to be digital gold. Well, it's nothing like gold. It's got it, that's got nothing in common with gold. It's, it's no more digital gold than if you have a digital house. I mean, you can't do anything with a digital house that you could do with a real house. You can't do anything. Uh, with digital gold that you could do with real gold. So, this is just a pipe dream. And sure, people have gotten rich. Could I have made a lot of money personally had I bought a bunch of Bitcoin when I first heard about it and wrote it all the way up and sold it today at 50,000 or any time and sold it at 30,000 or 10,000? Yeah, of course. But, you know, there are a lot of other things that went way up that I didn't buy. Um, there are some things that went way up that I did buy. So, at least I didn't miss out on every opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, you know you got to pick your pitches that you want to swing at but you know i didn't swing at bitcoin i guess you know but i still think that most people who are in bitcoin who are making fun of me at the end of the day i'm going to have the last laugh because you know it's like you're at a big poker table and you know you got a bunch of people that don't know how to play poker but for some reason they got lucky and they got a bunch of chips and they want to make fun of me you know because i got a smaller stack but if i know i'm a better player than them i mean they can laugh all they want. Knowing that at the end of the day, I'm going home with all their money, you know, right. and they're just going to bust out of the game. And so I think a lot of these guys, you know, laugh now, you know, go ahead, make all the, you know, fun of me all you want. I don't care, you know, because right. I'm going to have the last laugh and I'm going to have the money. Because so I, I asked the this, invest- of Mike-
3: yeah. I
1: had <laughs> yeah. M- Michael Saylor on. You guys have had your battles uh, online. I've had him on the podcast. I have invitations to the Winkle Wise uh, and other people. And, and you know, I always like to do what's called in the military, my, my friends and relatives in the military tell me is kind of this red team approach. Because I think at the end of the day, you know people might not like you or people might not like Michael but the bottom line is I care about my listeners I care about my audience I care about my students and I'm I'm, I'm serious because what I want to do is have this adversarial approach and then as scientists most of my audience are scientifically friendly if not necessarily scientists or engineers but they can evaluate, you know which argument sounds better maybe hedging bets I've had on Jim Simons one of the most successful uh, people uh, in, in hedge fund history uh, who's the backer of the Simons Observatory that I co-run? And this um, you know, approaches work well for me. I've asked, you know, give me the st- straw man case for for gold to to uh to Michael Saylor and give me the steel man approach. And I want to ask you, do you see things in Bitcoin? Uh, first of all, do you see a value in it besides a perception? I agree with you, it's failed as a currency. But by the way, there's millions of other literally millions of other bitcoins that you know could potentially be used as as currency, but nobody's really saying. Currency is, you know, just because it has that in its name, that's what it's for. I mean, no one ever envisioned it would be used for smart contracts, and and that's something I want to get into later. But the first question I really want to ask you is a deeper question, again, a philosophical question. Um, When we have... The overall thing is that we're all trying to protect ourselves, our families, our countries against the perils of hyperinflation, collapse, destruction of wealth, because destruction of wealth is destruction of work. And I can't think of anything worse than destroying, you know, it's basically enslavement of the human of the human uh, spirit. So I want to ask you, don't you think that eventually, if hyperinflation took over, don't you think another country would be the sort of canary in the coal mine? Uh, not necessarily America. In other words, we have so much, you know, hegemonic control over the world and 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 even um, beyond financial, militarily, et cetera. We're kind of the country that people look to philosophically. So I want to ask you, would, we, would there be another canary in the coal mine that would alert us, hey, we should have some hedge against inflation, just speaking well,
2: generally? Well, you don't even need a canary in the coal mine. I mean, you need a hedge against inflation. I mean, and, you know, a lot of things have worked as hedges. I mean, people have owned real estate, people have owned stocks. I mean, pe- people own real things because inflation erodes away the value of paper claims. It doesn't erode away the value of real wealth. So the people who have to worry about inflation are people who own bonds, uh, people who have um, you know, cash value in an insurance policy, people who have a fixed annuity, people living on fixed income from a pension. Right. That's where inflation really gets you And then, of course, you know, wage earners, because wages typically lag other prices when there's inflation. And so, you know, your your standard of living is is eroding away. And so, you know, we all need hedges against inflation. Now, hyperinflation is a very rare circumstance, uh, which can completely wipe out your paper claims. And I mean, do I think people should have a hedge against that well you don't have to hedge against that specifically because once you're hedged against inflation well you're hedged against hyperinflation too right so it's just it's obviously it's more important to have the hedge the question is is bitcoin a hedge against hyperinflation i don't think so i don't think it's a hedge against any inflation i mean you could say maybe it's a hedge against stupidity i mean if people are still stupid they'll maybe they'll buy it Uh, or greedy. I mean, I think it's the combination of ignorance and greed that really drives the the Bitcoin price. But the reason that gold, right, and everybody wants to compare gold to Bitcoin, even though they're they're nothing in common. Michael,
1: Michael calls it digital gold bars sitting in cyberspace.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, Michael is a professional Bitcoin shill at this point. I mean, he's all over the place. I mean, that's why I came on your podcast to kind of debunk some of the nonsense (laughs) that he was that he was selling on here. But look, he's trying to get people to buy what he owns. I mean, obviously, because that's the only way to get Bitcoin to go up is if somebody else buys it because you can't do anything with it. You can't use it for anything. There's no natural buyer. But this gets me into why is gold a hedge against inflation? Well, when you own gold, you own a commodity, you own a metal, right? You own the most useful, the most valuable metal in the periodic table, right? Now, inflation makes all commodity prices go up, right? So if, if, if there's a lot of inflation, wheat's gonna go up, corn's gonna go up, oil's gonna go up, right? Now, am I gonna buy a bunch of wheat? Am I gonna buy a bunch of oil? Where am I gonna put it, right? I mean, it's very hard. Even if those are the things I need. Let's say I need to use a lot of oil. I don't, let's say I don't use gold. I'm not a, a jeweler. I don't make uh, jewelry. I don't make uh, you know semiconductors. I don't actually need gold. Uh, maybe I don't even wear jewelry. I need wheat right? because I eat bread or I need oil because I, I drive my car. But I'm not going to store the oil because, I mean, what, where am I going to put it? But if I store the gold, right? And gold goes up in price along with oil and along with wheat. I can take that gold and I can exchange it either directly or indirectly, and then I can use that to buy my wheat or my oil because there is somebody out there that needs that gold because they have to make jewelry because that's their business, or they need to conduct electricity, or they're making uh, crowns for dentistry, or they're doing something in aerospace or whatever it is that needs gold. Right? So it's a, it's a good that can rise in value relative to other goods that is easy for me to store because i have to get out of paper right oh my god there's all this inflation i got to get rid of my paper how am i going to store my purchasing power well over the centuries gold has been a very convenient way to store your purchasing power because it's a real good that's very you know it's you can get a lot of value in a small space right. every ounce of gold is the same as every other ounce so it's you know it's easy to use as a medium of exchange Now people say, well, why can't I use Bitcoin for that? Well, Bitcoin, unlike gold, has no actual use. So there is no guarantee that anybody is going to want your Bitcoin in the future, even though they may want it now to speculate on it. You don't know. And there are historic relationships. I can take a look at hundred year, thousand year charts up there around. Gold versus wheat, gold versus corn, gold versus copper. Goal versus all sorts of things, to have some idea of a relationship that you can expect over time. There is no such relationship between Bitcoin and anything. I mean, nobody knows, oh, you know, what's the proper price of, of this in Bitcoin? I mean, there is none. There's nothing. Right, there.
1: right. Of course, Michael would push back, as he did, and I pushed him on all the. Believe me, I never give anybody a free pass. I'm always a, a, <laughs> think a gentleman, Peter. Uh, I, I want to reach consilience, but not necessarily just to feel kumbaya, let's all get along. But I said to, I said to, uh, to Michael, I said, look, you know, just saying that something has uh, has interconvertibility uh, and so forth. Look at Isaac Newton. He invested in the uh, South Sea bubble. Uh, which was like a real estate ponzi scheme he he invested in other things as i said he was very convinced that you could turn uh base metals into gold and thereby debasing it and and michael replied well first of all you know as warren buffett said most of the gold ever mined, all we seem to do is dig it up and then put it underground and then have some guys with guns sitting sitting in front of it and whereas you know he uh, he's not a big bitcoin you know hodler either warren buffett but but the point is, is that people pay you know what they think something is worth and my question to you is isn't this of a different character I remember you very presciently Peter in the late 90s uh, first with the dot-com bubble and then in the early 2000s with the real estate bubble you were very prescient you called it you were dead on Peter Schiff was right I'll link to that video sometime in the YouTube description however those bubbles as they were lasted a mere two years at maximum if you claim, as you did in 2013, you Spencer retweeted today a tweet from you back in 2013 or something. Uh, it, it's it's cute to see you guys on on Twitter engaging in such <laughs> fun. But anyway, he retweeted yeah. You know, Bitcoin's about like 61 or 100 or whatever it was. And I just want to ask you, how many bubbles from your story study as a historian of monetary um, knowledge as you are as a scholar, what bubble has lasted 13 years or, or more? You know, at this yeah. point. And not well, and you know, just gone up and, and, and survived bull and bear markets, by the way.
2: Well, first of all, the housing bubble lasted a lot longer than that. It really got started in the mid 1990s, along with the NASDAQ bubble. So Greenspan started inflating two bubbles in stocks and real estate in the 90s. It's just that when the stock market bubble popped, the air kind of left that bubble and went into the real estate bubble. And so it kind of kept going up until 2005, you know, 2000, it really didn't blow up until 07, but it kind of peaked in 2005. So it really was about a 10 year bubble uh, with home prices going up much faster than they normally did. So it's it, 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 it just that it got really crazy in those last few years, right? I mean, that's when it really went to the, to the main manic stage. So if you want to count the early years of Bitcoin when it was just like, you know, people were gambling with their lunch money. It was just kind of, uh, you know, you had some libertarians, you know, that had a hundred bucks worth, you know, people use what? What? How many did they use to buy that pizza? You know, a hundred, you know, whatever it was. A thousand you know. or more, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when, when people were just fooling around with, you know, play money, yeah, I don't really count that. Yet Bitcoin really came on the stage when it ran up to a thousand, right? That was what, in twenty. Uh, What was that? 2014 or something like that, and and then it shot up. All of a sudden, people, what the hell is this? And and then you know, it spent the next few years kind of going back down. It went down to two, three hundred, and then it really didn't start catching real attention until 2017, when all of a sudden it went up to twenty thousand. So really, that was the first year where all of a sudden a lot of people like looked at it. And that's when people started putting real money in it. I mean, not just, you know, play money, right? They, they couldn't care less if they lost, right? Um, they, they, they were starting to put real money in. People were like taking out loans, using their credit cards, taking out mortgages, and they started, you know, buying Bitcoin. So really it started in a big way in 2017. So it had 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. So you have four real years of this bubble where a lot of people are putting a lot of money in it. I mean, real serious money. Uh, so I, you know, is that a long time in the history of bubbles? I mean, probably not. I, I don't know about every bubble that's existed over the course of time. Um, but I think this one is pretty unique. I mean, I gotta give it to the, 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 the big whales that have orchestrated this thing. It's a great marketing campaign. And now they're even trying to sucker in. I mean, they got Michael Saylor. And somehow they got um, um, Elon Musk to bite on it. And, of course, I've been saying, look, you know, he's in a bubble all on his own. And so maybe he doesn't want to throw pins at bubbles in general. And he's maybe trying to, you know, tie his bubble to the Bitcoin bubble. I don't know. But we'll see uh, how many more uh, CEOs, you know, can be enticed into doing something as crazy as, you know, buying Bitcoin on their balance sheet. I mean, I was listening to, this to uh, Sailor. I mean, talking about, you know, we have to hedge our cash. I mean, you don't hedge something with something riskier than what you're hedging. I mean, your hedge can't be, I mean, you have to take something that has less volatile. I mean, if, if, if you really are worried about the dollar going down, uh, you can certainly own Swiss francs or other currencies. Uh, if you think the dollar is gonna go down, uh, there's not nearly as much volatility there. But if you think all fiat currencies are gonna go down, and you're really worried about inflation well then you could put gold on your balance sheet if that's what you're worried about. but it makes no sense to buy Bitcoin. I mean you might as well just buy back your own stock uh, as buy Bitcoin I mean I mean or the, I think Bitcoin is far riskier than any corporation um, so it just, it just makes no sense nobody who's worried about two or three percent a year inflation is gonna buy Bitcoin that could collapse you know two percent in, in five minutes. I mean, it can go down 20, 30, 50 percent, you know, easily, you know, in a week. I mean, you can't buy that and say it's a hedge. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous.
1: So and I mentioned that to, to Michael and, and he said, um, well, you know, things things are, are, you know, behave properly until all of a sudden they don't. And And the the example that he gave is like, you know, you're on a. You're on a, you know you're on a plane and you know he's a pilot you know like i am of small planes and the plane is going down and and you don't ask the you know the the when they give you the oxygen mass you don't say like oh does it have like the proper ratio of nitrogen the carbon dioxide in other words like in a certain sense because it has survived certain bear and bull cycles back in 2017 2018 and all the way down last year and because it survived things like uh threats of regulation and so forth which by the way you point out all the time that the U.S. government basically confiscated gold, made it a crime to have gold. And I asked him, well, what's to prevent that from happening with Bitcoin or just like uh, my friend Phil Greenspun is in the clubhouse as well, actually invited me to clubhouse. Uh, thank you, Phil. It'll be on the stage later. But uh, he said, you know, they called it a windfall profits tax and they do that now and other things too. So what's to prevent them from doing it from gold if it if it does go up again or Bitcoin and you know his response is basically like, well, you just ha- you know you can either put the life mask life vest on or you can't. And my my takeaway was, well, of course it doesn't have a thousand year track record. And it, you know he would point out, well, you know they used to use giant blocks of stone as as currency as well and as stores of value. We don't do that or grain. Um, so nowadays there are alternatives that like uh, my friend Rockwell Shaw told me about. He's also on Clubhouse. And he said, like, there's contracts, there's escrow, there are things that blockchain can do, and I think you know the concern that I get from my audience is that you conflate all blockchain with Bitcoin or vice versa. So, I mean, would you dispute the fact that things like Ethereum and others they have ability to act as like escrow, time valued contracts? They they can serve a purpose. I mean, can you hand me escrow? No, you can't hand me an escrow. Well, look,
2: I mean, whether or not these cryptocurrencies can serve some type of purpose doesn't necessarily equate to what owning one of them or a fraction of one of them may be worth. So I have no idea. Those are two totally separate questions. But getting back to really what I think you were trying to ask me, um, I think that Sailor's example actually contradicts what he's trying to say, because he says, hey, the plane is going down and I'm handing you some oxygen. Are you going to start arguing about whether that oxygen is, you know, is pure enough or is it going to work, right? You're just going to, you know, put it on. Well, I think that argues for gold because, you know, you know, gold is going to survive inflation, hyperinflation. It's been doing that for thousands of years. You don't know that with Bitcoin. I mean, to try to say Bitcoin has been tested and it survived, it hasn't been around long enough for you to come back and say, yeah, it's it's survived. I mean, I think that Bitcoin in the next recession, if we have a lot of inflation, I think a lot of people, a lot of millennials are going to have to sell their Bitcoin. I mean, a lot of people have been holding on to their Bitcoin and they haven't sold it. And this last recession, you know, maybe, you know, they would have uh, had we not had all this free money from the government. In fact, a lot of that money ended up going into crypto probably. But I think you have a lot of people who have Bitcoin and nothing else. And when times get rough and they need money, and all they got is Bitcoin, uh, now you start to see a lot of these holders, h- hodlers, maybe reluctantly uh, trying to sell because they need money for food, they need money for rent if they're still paying rent, or they need money for what, energy or whatever it is. Uh, and so there's going to be a lot of people selling, and there may not be people who want to buy. And that is the problem, is that the market could just evaporate. I mean, you don't have any buyers, uh, the, the price crashes. I mean, there is no natural Bitcoin buyer, like there's a natural buyer for most commodities or a natural buyer for other assets uh, that have income that you can ascribe a value to. I mean, if a stock is overpriced, there may be a certain price where the value investors will, will see the value as measured by its earnings and its dividends, and they'll buy it if the price is right. Same thing with real estate. But and commodities, I mean, if the commodity price is cheap enough, I mean, people will start accumulating the inventory if they need it. I mean, if gold got cheap enough, you know, people who need gold would just start building up an inventory. They use it for later. I mean, people just buy it. Um, and and so there's going to be changes. But if all of a sudden Bitcoin is dropping and nobody now wants to buy it because it's falling and it doesn't you know, it looks like it's going to keep dropping. There is no natural buyer. So it, it seems like if in that example. You want to play it safe, you go with gold. Right? If you're if you're a gambler, I mean, because Bitcoin, you think Bitcoin has never been used as a currency. He's trying to sailors say, well, other currencies have failed. That's true. But Bitcoin has never even succeeded. So I mean, what? so how's it going to fail? I mean, people say to me, Well, Peter, you can't use gold to buy a cup of coffee. Because I said, Look, you can't use Bitcoin. Well, you you don't use it today. But gold was a medium of exchange. It was money. It was never a currency. Currencies were backed by gold. Currencies are money substitute. Gold is the real thing. Gold functioned as a currency, as a money, as a medium of exchange for thousands of years. Just because we're not using it now doesn't mean it hasn't proven that it can be used. Bitcoin has never been used by any society. No, it's and, and so to say that it will one day is nothing but pure speculation. I don't I mean, think people it's are possible. saying
1: that anymore. I, I, think you're, I agree with you, Peter, but I don't think people are saying that. They're saying it's no longer, it, was, it could be used potentially, theoretically. I think you can get a vending machine, the guy bought a pizza, whatever. I agree 100%, but they're saying it's a store of value. Okay, and-
2: but here's the thing. So if it's never gonna be used as a currency, then what the hell value does it have that you're storing? See, when, and when I'm storing my gold, right? When I'm not using my gold, when I'm melting down my gold and I have it in a bar, I am storing that metal because somebody in the future is going to need that metal. I mean, and who knows? I mean, if we end up, you know, you know, with more technology, we end up, you know, with spaceships. I mean, who knows? The demand for gold will probably be a lot greater in the future. We'll probably come up with all kinds of applications for gold. Uh, and so when I have this bar of gold, I am storing that metal Gold never decays, it doesn't tarnish. The the gold is going to be just as good in a thousand years as it is today. And, and so that's what I'm storing. I'm storing all the things that people can do with gold. Right? Like, because people keep telling me, ah, oh, gold has no value. Gold, which is such pure nonsense.
1: But, but I but, mean, but, I've
2: never heard so much nonsense except the yeah, stuff no. that but, the but, crypto but people say. But let me finish my question. Oh, yeah. So if I'm when I'm storing my gold, right, I'm storing the ability of somebody to use the gold in the future. Even if it's never used as money, as a means of exchange, I'm storing the metal for the use as a as a metal. Um, what are you storing when you stash away your bitcoins, your satoshis? You got you know your satoshis on you know whatever. What exactly are you storing for the future?
1: Right. So I guess I would ask you the same question about um, the Gutenberg Bible. The last one that ever sold was sold in uh, like the mid-'80s to like uh, I think Sony Corporation or Fuji Corporation or something like – a corporation that – it's now the biggest asset on the balance sheets of this particular company with, back when they thought you know Japan would eat uh, the world for lunch. So what is the value of the Gutenberg Bible? It's got some oh, some
2: paper. Right. It's got some ink. How, all right. How many Gutenberg Bibles are there?
1: Well, there's, uh, there's only – there are pages. And actually, a page of the Gutenberg Bible sells for $100,000,
2: complete these 40 – under forty, under right. under. So it's it's a collector's item. It's something that's very rare that not a lot of people have, and so when you have it, you have something unique that a lot of other people may want to possess. That's the way humans are. We right. we, we like to have rare things in a way to flaunt our wealth, to kind of show people, show off how much money we have. Right. I mean, well, this you is talk actually about
1: how in, many, in a safe in the in this company's basement that's never been right, seen
2: well for years. Right, but, <laughs> All right, well, they know because look, they know it's a rare item, right? It's a real thing that will have value. And yes, I mean, obviously, you know, an expensive painting, you know, is worth a lot more than the canvas and the wood, right? If it's a rare, you know, painting, you know, from, you know, an artist who died, you know, four or 500 years ago, even some of the ones that are still alive, their paintings are are very valuable. But even Pokemon Pokemon cards are valuable. (laughs) Right. But if what you're arguing is that Bitcoin is going to be value, because collectors are going to want to show off their Bitcoin. I no, mean, no, there's no. Tw- there's 21 million of those things. They're never going to be. It's a scarce. conserved quantity.
1: It's a conserved quantity, and in physics, conserved quantities have the property of symmetry under either time translation or, or other properties. And so he makes the point that you can travel, you can transfer it at the speed of light. So imagine. But so what? Lot- trans-
2: it's nothing. I mean, yes, if you got nothing, you can transfer it at the speed of light. Who cares?
1: Well, you know, for example, there are actually digital artworks that are only available on the blockchain, actually computer generated art that, are, that sell for a good amount of money. And so there are sounds things like
2: that- a bubble there too. Well, it, it could be, but the, the
1: point that he's trying to make is imagine if you had Elon's ear and you said, Elon, buy this gold, it's better for you would how long would it take to 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 take his treasury in dollars and convert it to bricks of gold, which we then have to secure, and which then would be inflating at two or three percent a year as mining um, cost uh, yeah. as mining uh, takes place.
2: Yeah, that's another ridiculous statement he made that there's too much inflation when it comes to gold. I mean, a two percent increase per year, is fine. I mean, gold has been money again for thousands of years with that natural weight of inflation and because of the growth in the population and because of the efficiencies that come over time as we develop more efficient ways to produce things, even though the supply of gold increases every year, it increases more slowly than the supply of stuff that we buy with gold. So gold still gains its value Despite a relatively low uh, rate of of inflation, that's relatively uh, de- uh, uh, you know dependable. So I think for when he was saying that, oh, this is I can't have gold because there's too much gold being mined. I mean, oh, that's no, that no. all a bunch of nonsense. But me, yeah, he, but I wanted to get back on your collector thing because, uh-huh. look, if you if you think about a Bitcoin, right? What is a Bitcoin? It's 21 million satoshis or or or, or 100 million satoshis, right? So there's quadrillion Satoshis. So if all you're trying to do is have a Bitcoin in a collection, you only just need a Satoshi. If the only reason you want a Bitcoin is to show it off in your wallet, hey, look, check out my my Bitcoin. You know, a Satoshi, is is, that's all you need. I mean, there's so many of these things. They're never going to be to the point where they're so scarce that somebody is going to feel special because they own one. And, And that even assumes that Bitcoin is still valuable because the only way Bitcoin has any even use is because all these miners are out there spending all this money keeping this network going. If the price of Bitcoin collapses, the miners are all gone. So no, what good What good is your Bitcoin if you can't do anything with it because there's no way to transact it because all the miners have stopped and they don't want to waste all this money creating electricity to validate your transfer when the prices crash. So, I mean, and, and then you got, I mean, talk about you know trying to you know create make gold artificially i mean what's going to happen in 10 years let alone 50 or 100 years with quantum computing or i mean people could look back at what we think is you know top technology i mean maybe maybe grammar school kids uh, uh, you know in the future could could hack a uh, bitcoin they they look at it like what is this a joke <laughs> you know i i don't know i mean we think that it's all cutting edge technology no, I, I actually what, I mean but I, I said, mean but what do we know? I mean we are nothing- you know.
1: Yeah, there's nothing about blockchain that couldn't have been invented in the early 90s or or whatever. Even earlier before that, it's cryptography. And back then, instead of 256 bits, you know, uh, hash and uh, so so forth, you'd use 56 bits or 64 bits or whatever. So Yeah. yeah, it'd be a little bit slower. And we only had, you know, 56k modems back then. But he makes the point in the interview with me that, you know, like this is not only it's not it's not like another form of Pokemon card. This is like for a digital generation these are people that like right now on the cash app on the swipe app stripe app you can do all sorts of transactions you can buy you can change it into gold uh, gld at least you could buy euro pacific you could buy euro pacific uh funds with it oh uh, no, you can't
2: uh, yeah you can you can you can tra- you could convert it to dollars you have then- to yeah but, but you could do that with anything i mean long before no. there was oh, bitcoin no no well long before there was bitcoin because i you know i owned a broker dealer. Right? Yeah. And we always, we issued, we gave our clients, if they wanted them, debit cards, right? And the debit card would uh, be attached to their brokerage account. So let's say you had a brokerage account and all you had was common stocks and you had no, and you had no, you had no um, cash, right? You just said common stocks. If you put the stocks in a margin account, right, you could just take that debit card and, and just start buying stuff. And it's like, well, I'm I'm using my IBM to buy a pair of socks. Well, technically, no, because the guy that's selling you the socks is getting dollars. What we're doing is I'm giving you a loan against your IBM. And if you don't pay it back, we sell the IBM to get, you know, because we advance the dollars. But that's all that's happening with Bitcoin. People are able to use Bitcoin if they own it. There are all kinds of convenient ways where where you can sell it quickly to get dollars or euros or some other currency and then you're using that other currency to buy the things that you want you know because outside of a handful of people who may want your bitcoin and in that case it's more like a barter transaction where hey you 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 know you, you want to buy this from me i want bitcoin because i'm I, i'm a hodler so i'll barter you the bitcoin i mean people aren't using it you know as money where they're just taking it and then spending it if you just want the Bitcoin because you want to own it, it's really barter. You're going backwards to barter economy where Bitcoin is like another good that you would barter. It's not an intermediary because the person actually wants the Bitcoin. You know, when when you buy something from somebody with dollars, that guy doesn't want your dollars. He wants what he can buy with the dollar. Sure, same with but gold. The, well, it depends if it's don't. well, but if it's a jeweler, he, he does he needs the gold, right? But um, if somebody just says, hey, I want Bitcoin and I'll take it in exchange for some product, that's barter, right? It, Bitcoin is the end. So it's not acting as money, it's acting as a good that you're exchanging. But nobody is using Bitcoin as money. And it's, you know, it's way too expensive to use it as money now. I mean, if you want to buy something, like if if Elon Musk Actually started selling Teslas and accepting Bitcoin. Which he will, and, yeah, and well, assuming it actually ever happens. Yes, you could buy a fifty thousand dollar car economically with Bitcoin as a payer. Although I don't know what they do. I mean, if, you know how quickly because the price changes very quickly. Yeah. So you know, I, it, it would be very hard. I mean, obviously you can't price the Tesla in Bitcoin. You have to price it in dollars and allow somebody to pay. In Bitcoin based on the exchange rate at that moment in time. Um, But assuming he could do that, okay, but if you want to buy a sandwich with Bitcoin, the cost of buying the sandwich today is too expensive. But if people actually started to use Bitcoin on a much larger scale, the cost of those transactions would skyrocket. Mm. I I mean, it's the most inefficient Thing to use as a medium of exchange, which is why so many people say, "Well, we're not going to use it as a medium of exchange. We're just going to use it as a store of value." Which gets back to my question that you really couldn't answer. If Bitcoin isn't a digital currency, then what the hell are you storing when you own it? And you can't tell me that you're—it's a collectible and that you're creating a valuable collection that people are going to like. Oh my God, you got a—you've got a brand—you've got a Bitcoin from. Year from 2021, Bitcoin? Wow, that's beautiful. I mean, that's never going to happen.
1: No, of course not. But I think the point is that it's this this proof of work argument that in order to have it, uh, in order to mine a coin or transfer or attack or undermine, literally undermining a Bitcoin, you must put in a certain amount of computational energy, which takes- Yes.
2: And I I get that because they're trying to compare that to gold because obviously gold just can't be created. It needs to be mined, and it takes a lot of work to mine gold. And so all the value of that work is in that coin. But that, the, the idea that work in and of itself means value is a flawed concept. I mean, I mean, there are some Keynesians that believe in this for these government job programs. But the reason that gold has value is not because a lot of labor was required to mine it out of the ground. It's because after you've expended all that labor and all that other resources, you now have a metal that can be used for something. It's like if I hired people to dig ditches, right? These are government-type jobs. And then I hired other people to fill the ditches back up, right? And they spend all day digging ditches and filling them back up. There's a lot of work involved. But have they created any value? No, they've created nothing. I don't have anything at the end of the day that I didn't have at the beginning of the day, right? So all that work was done. And maybe they can prove that they did the work. Maybe they have photographs of the big ditch that they dug before they filled it back up with dirt. And they can prove to me that they did all this work. Fine, but they created no value. That is the problem with Bitcoin. Yes, it requires a lot of work to make one. And unfortunately, that's a lot of waste. We're wasting all kinds of resources. A lot of energy is being squandered to produce nothing, you know there's no value there. Yes, somebody is buying it. But if we didn't use all that energy to produce a Bitcoin, we could have used that energy to do something else. And so what you have to look at is what is society giving up because we decided to make all these Bitcoin, right? What could we have had that we don't have? And what other goods are more expensive because the energy to create them was more expensive because we wasted so much of it on Bitcoin. Now, I know to the people who own the Bitcoin and bought them a lot cheaper and who are able to sell, they don't think it's a waste from their perspective, just like the people who I paid to dig ditches and fill them back up again. From their perspective, these jobs weren't a waste because they got a paycheck. But from society's perspective and the taxpayers who foot the bill, it's a complete waste because we got nothing as a result of the work. And at the end of the day, we're getting nothing from all this energy and labor we're wasting making these Bitcoins.
1: What he's saying is that, you know, this this has a special appeal. Maybe you'd say it's a, you know, it's a greater uh, delusion, a massive delusion. I want to refer people to go to the uh, Brian Keating Dr. Brian Keating, YouTube channel, and go to Peter's channel. Subscribe to his channel, find him on Twitter, find him on Instagram. I love the Instagram updates that you give every so often, Peter. Thanks for signing up for that. That's been right. uh, really, really fun for me to follow along with. You're kind of an inspiration. You have a huge YouTube following. Okay. Yeah. Phil, go mm-hmm. ahead now.
3: Well, could Bitcoin get a lift from wealth taxes? Let's say President Harris
4: puts in a uh, 3% annual wealth tax. Um and people want to, uh, you know, quietly move money out of the U.S. Um, or, you know, from another
3: country with a wealth tax. Uh, so could that be the enduring value of Bitcoin as a way of moving money uh, away from wealth taxation? And secondly, uh, what did you think about the uh, Crypto Anonymous guys uh, posting? You know, the, the bit short inside Crypto's state machine in which he uh, said that uh, fraud, fraud at tether limited was uh, the main source of uh, the high value of Bitcoin right now. So those are my two questions.
2: The first question, at least with respect to the U.S., is it's a a tax on your global wealth. So if you move your Bitcoins abroad, yet you still own them, uh, then you're still going to have to pay the tax. And I think that, you know, Bitcoin is not that anonymous. I mean, in fact, the Bitcoiners, in order to, Uh, you know, get Wall Street on board in order to get the bigger money, the pensions, the hedge funds on board. They really have to concede, oh, no, it's not it's not for drug dealers and money launderers. Oh, no, it's it's easy to trace. I mean, you know, nobody would want to use Bitcoin to hide things because, you know, there's such a big digital footprint here. And I do think that more regulation is going to come on uh, to Bitcoin. I mean, no question about it. I mean, just, you know, uh, this is what government does. They regulate stuff. And, you know, I'm in the banking industry and brokerage, and I see all the crazy regulations. And I know even more of them are coming down the pipe uh, for Bitcoin that is going to make it even more expensive to transact in it than it already is. But if anything, you know, if there is a, a wealth tax. Then people who have Bitcoin might have to sell some of their Bitcoin to pay their tax on their Bitcoin. And so it could easily be a catalyst for some of the uh, hodlers, the big whales that have never sold any Bitcoin. They might have to start selling. Because remember, you have to market to market every year and then pay a tax on what the paper value is. And so what would happen if a lot of this Bitcoin that has never you know, uh, been for sale all of a sudden It has to be sold. I mean, the same thing would happen to people who own big concentrations like Elon Musk. They start taxing him on his Tesla. Well, he has to start selling a bunch of Tesla to get the money to pay that tax. And so, you know, a lot of things could come up for sale. Hmm. So I don't think that Bitcoin is a hedge for that. Look, Bitcoin is going to go up as long as more people are buying it. And, And I think what attracts people to it now, especially some of the bigger people, is hey if I have a, if I'm a big person with a lot of influence, if I buy my Bitcoin and then tell everybody I bought it after the fact, and then come up with all kinds of pie in the sky uh, promises about what I might do in the future, I can immediately make my own purchase, you know, uh, on paper be in a, a profit. I can pump it and hold it because if I'm just judged by the unrealized paper gain which a lot of times you want to credit that. Oh, look, you know, look at how much I have. Look, if everybody that owns Bitcoin, if every single person that owned it agreed not to sell it, no matter what the price was, Bitcoin can go to a million, right? But would it, it would it mean anything if you had a million dollars worth of Bitcoin that you never could use for anything, that you could never sell? No, what difference? It's all a delusion. Because then one guy decides, hey, I want to sell one Sto- Satoshi, and the whole market crashes. Right. So but it's easy with this type of market to just buy it and then tell everybody you own it and then get the price to go up. And now you look like some kind of genius. You got all this profit. But you know what? So far, and I haven't seen the market today. Last I checked before we did this, Tesla was down almost another two percent, which means that even though Bitcoin had gone from like thirty five thousand to fifty thousand since Tesla announced they bought it, Elon Musk announced they bought it for Tesla. Tesla stock had dropped about 7% while the market was hitting new highs. So, so far, Tesla's shareholders have not been rewarded by this decision, yeah. even though the Bitcoin on paper have gone up. But the key is, you know, what would happen if Musk tried to sell that uh, Bitcoin? Now, of course, he would never say in advance, I'm going to get rid of my Bitcoin. He's not that dumb. He's going to sell all his Bitcoin before he lets anybody know. But somebody would have to buy that Bitcoin. That might be a big order. I mean, it's one thing to buy one and a half billion dollars worth of Bitcoin, uh, but I think it's a whole other story to try to get rid of it. As far as Tether is concerned, look, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I've always been suspicious that you know Tether was not 100% backed by dollars. That they were doing some fractional reserve. I mean, that they were issuing more Tethers than they had actual dollars. And then later on, I think they came out and admitted, yeah, you know, it's 70 or 80 percent. I forget the ratio that they say they have. Uh, but I even doubt that. I mean, do they really have thirty billion dollars in a bank somewhere uh, behind? You know, because if you look at the supply of Tethers, I mean, they're they're really up there. I mean, is I wouldn't want to keep all that money in Tether. I mean, I because I, I mean, it, it, but people have it. The whole thing seems too risky. Because what is the upside of Tether? It's never going to be worth more than a dollar, right? What is the downside? It crashes because they're they're, they're counterfeit. So it's like, I wouldn't want to keep much money in Tether, given the, the huge downside and the limited upside. And if a lot of people actually sold their Bitcoin and all they got is Tether, they might have got nothing. They might be holding on to a dream. So I don't know. You know, the guy that created it, you know, lives you know, a few houses down from me, you know, Rock Pierce. I think he's the one that's got it started. But um, I mean, I've never really had a discussion with him about it. Um, and I don't think he's involved in it anymore. So I don't know that he knows what's going on. But, you know, I think Tether is part of it. My guess is that they did, you know, inflate the Tether supply strategically. When Bitcoin starts selling off, they start printing Tethers and buying them. And and so it's almost like a central bank intervening in the market. And just like because if they issue Tethers, the company Tether, what is it? What's the company called that issues them? Tethered, you know, I don't know, but they could just print them up. Right. I don't know who's auditing them. Have they really been honest audits? But yeah, I I mean, I think that that is part of the problem. I'm sure, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's probably truths. So I know they're being investigated. So but, you know, obviously, just because they're being investigated doesn't mean that there's there's anything there. Uh, but we'll see. But my my guess, knowing you know what's going on with the whole crypto industry and all of the the shilling and all the pump and dump that i see anyway and again so many things that people in bitcoin community say so much stuff is so completely absurd you know they have to tell so many lies in order to pump bitcoin when you're lying and you're not being honest then you know you have to call into question everything that's being done you know i mean i don't tell lies what i'm trying to Tell people why I think they should invest a certain way, you know, why they should maybe buy gold or silver or foreign stocks. I'm not lying to them to get them. I'm, 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 I'm telling them honest opinions. But I see so many people out there that I know are telling bold-faced lies uh, about not just about Bitcoin, but about gold or all sorts of things in order to get people to buy Bitcoin.
1: Great. Thank you, Peter. We have a question now from my friend Rockwell Shaw, who is uh, one of my uh, leading indicators. He uh, tells me and informs me about all sorts of things going on in the world of blockchain. I've learned a lot from him. Rockwell, are you there ready to ask Peter Schiff a question or comment?
5: Um, I believe you are a very smart person. and So please don't uh, take my question the wrong way. I I can hear the collective screams of all the Bitcoin bulls in the audience wishing that they could say something. Uh, Every time they hear a uh, logical fallacy or something that's not quite a a bit correct, so for example, in the discussion, we talk about how you can't buy anything with Bitcoin, but in fact, you can buy many things with Bitcoin, right? You can Google uh, what can you buy with Bitcoin, and see tons and tons of lists. You can go to Overstock.com; you can buy many things with Bitcoin.
2: Yeah. Okay. Let I'll stop you right there because look, a lot of people, a lot of people. Mm -hmm think that I'm you know, lying or being a hypocrite because they say, hey, you can buy gold and shift gold with Bitcoin. And you can't. What you can do, right? And this is part of the marketing. And most of the things that you can buy with Bitcoin, this is how it works, right? Because we signed up with a company called BitPay back in uh, 2014. We, we first signed up mid-2014. And what that enabled us to do was put something on our website that was like Bitcoin accepted, right? But what happens is when somebody has Bitcoin and they want to buy something from Shift Gold, BitPay acts as an intermediary. And what happens is the Bitcoins goes from the customer of Shift Gold to BitPay. BitPay turns around and sells those Bitcoin into the market, gets dollars and then pays those dollars to shift gold, and then shift gold uh, sends the the, uh, the gold to the customer. So you're not buying anything with Bitcoin. You are mm. selling your Bitcoin in order to get dollars to then buy something. Well, you can do that with any asset. You can sell any asset to get money to buy another asset. Uh, so that that, that is the the, the, the the fallacy of it. My point was, you can't take your Bitcoin and and go to shift gold and say hey peter i i got i want to buy an ounce of gold uh how much is it in bitcoin and i'm going to send you the bitcoin and and that'll cover the transaction we don't do that we can't do that we only mark up our gold like 1 or 2% there would be no way for me to be able to to do a transaction by the time i actually got the bitcoin it could be worth less than the gold i sold you uh and so it, 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 we can't we can't do business in bitcoin it's it's impossible
5: so Part of your thesis is that you should only invest in things that have intrinsic value, right? That Bitcoin doesn't have any intrinsic value. And so my question to you is this: As you point to gold, you know, if I bought gold in 1935, the the per ounce going rate was a, a little bit above $500 in 2018 inflation adjusted dollars. If I then sold that same gold in 2003, 70 years later, I would have roughly lost about $150 per ounce. So I would have held on to an asset for 70 years and actually lost money with it. Right.
2: Well, yeah, but the problem with with your time period mm-hmm. is you're picking a a, a a peak and a trough over an extended period of time, and you're assuming you're assuming that no gold was purchased during that 70 year period. That like you bought all of your gold because if you go to you know the, the, where where the price of gold was at a certain point, um, you know. And, and then you measure it. At, at, you know, you're picking you're picking points. If you bought gold, let's say in 1930 or 1920 or thir- 1930, and you held that gold today, and you just looked at it today, you know, I think it's actually beaten the Dow Jones. But if you count dividends, it hasn't and that would be expected exactly. because the the stocks stocks are a productive asset. Gold is just a commodity. But what you compare gold to is paper dollars. So if I had an ounce of gold, you know, in 1920 or 1930, whatever year you're picking. And and I and I put that in the ground and somebody else took paper dollars and put those in the ground. Who preserved their value better? The person who has gold or the person who has paper? Obviously, the person who has gold. I mean, gold was $20 an ounce in 1920. It's almost $2,000 an ounce uh, now. So if I took a $20 bill and buried it in the ground, you know, 100 years ago, you know, I still have $20. What can I buy? But if I buried an ounce of gold in the ground 100 years ago, I have an ounce of gold, which is now $2,000. It's 100 times the paper one. So
5: Peter, since 2003, the price of gold has 6x. And my question to you is this, what percentage of the price of gold today is intrinsic value versus speculation? Are you telling me that since 2003, gold has become six X more useful, six X more used? What percentage would you ascribe to the intrinsic value of the you know, 800, $1,800 in price of gold? Right.
2: Well, first of all, in 2003, Gold was just coming off of a 20-year bear market. So I would argue that in 2003, the price of gold was cheap. It was very undervalued. And so it really shouldn't have been that low to begin with. Uh, But number two, you can look at the current cost of mining gold, and the price of gold today is not that much higher than the cost of mining it. So there isn't some enormous amount of profit to be earned by mining gold. So. If gold were really overvalued, there would be this huge incentive for people to try to explore for it and mine it because there'd be this big profit. Uh, and that's not the case. I mean, gold you know, really uh, doesn't reflect much of a premium for the big mining companies. I mean, it's better now than it was a few years ago. But I think if you look at the money supply that existed back then of dollars and the money supply that exists today, and not only the money supply that exists today, but the potential future money supply, given the trajectory of our deficits and, and the course that we're on, I would actually argue that I think gold may be even more undervalued at 2,000 uh, than it was at, at three or 400, given the circumstances that exist today. Because what gold is really measuring is the value of the dollar. I mean, how many dollars do you need to buy an ounce of gold? And, and, and not just how many that you need today, But how many might you need in the future? And and so people are voting to store their future purchasing power in gold rather than storing it in in, in dollars. Um, But, you know, the idea that the only value of gold comes from speculators is nonsense. That's not where the value comes from. I mean, speculators are speculating on what the future value of gold would be based on the people who need it and what they're gonna be willing to pay. If there was no actual use for gold, right? If gold was like Bitcoin, if you couldn't make a watch out of gold, right? If you couldn't do anything with gold, if you couldn't conduct electricity with gold, if it had actu- absolutely no use, then you could argue that its value comes purely from speculation. But when that's not the case, when you're talking about the single most valuable metal on the periodic table, a metal that can do things that no other metal can do, and, it, and, and, and therefore, you know, it, people need it for certain applications. Uh, it has value. He wants to make a bet, Peter. <laughs> yeah, I don't like to make bets on Bitcoin because, you know, anything can, anything's possible. He doesn't want to make Bitcoin. a bet, Rock. Sorry. All if right. you're going to bet on the price of Bitcoin going up, I can see that the price of Bitcoin might go up. Yeah. I just, you know, I just don't want to own any. That's my bet. People keep saying, why don't you bet me this? Look, I have a big bet on Bitcoin. I own none of it. Right? People say, "Well, just buy a little bit of the hedge." I, I I'm. I, it's not a hedge. I don't care. I'm so confident it's going to be worthless that it's, I don't even want to have one percent of my net worth in it. I don't want to waste one percent of my net worth on Bitcoin. I, I, I'll, I'll gamble on something else.
1: Yeah, you're, a, you're, <laughs> a, you're a toddler. You're a throwout for dear life. <laughs> uh, when I think about you and I think about the things that you've called, first of all, I see you as a. I want to talk again philosophical. Let's get off Bitcoin for a little bit. You know, thinking about. When you have these um, risks in in life, and I want to know, because you're a businessman, you own uh, and, have, and have founded, you know, things really, I,
2: I, I feel that yeah. you are a self-made man. Your dad obviously cast a huge shadow on your life. I'm and self-made I- in terms of money. My dad didn't give me any money. He gave me knowledge. Mm-hmm. So so that helped, obviously, yeah. a lot of mental capital. But he didn't, he he, di- he died penniless, so I didn't inherit anything from him. Right. And he didn't give me any money during life. I mean, yeah. he gave me a little bit. You know, he helped, he paid for college. You know, he helped me with that, and Do you, you know, he helped raise wanted... me. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So he raised me. It's not like he abandoned me. He was a father. He helped support me. But you know, once I went out on my own and I got my first job, I you know, I never I never went home for any money. I mean, whatever money I, I had, I earned.
1: Right. Yeah. I want to ask you. You know, when you look at his life, and and obviously he cast this this big influence on you, and and fathers play this role, mothers play this role. Uh, later, in uh, if you'll spare a few more minutes uh, coming up, I ask you the questions I ask all my guests when they come on the Into the Impossible podcast. But a lot of them are about legacy. And before I ask you about your legacy, what you want to bequeath to, you know, the future biological and ideological heirs that you will certainly uh, possess, I want to ask you if you resent your dad. Uh, I'm sorry to ask it in that way, but but he could have had this life where he was with you, with your. Grant with his grandchildren, uh, which you have a few mm-hmm. and, uh, and your brother, um, who's, who's an, another uh, amazing individual. i am ask you, do you, do you ever resent the fact that he took this stance and maybe just recapitulate really quickly his principles, what he did, why he was thrown in jail and how he was basically tortured? Yeah,
2: you know, I mean, it's not so much that I resent it. I mean, I feel bad about it. Um, I feel even, you know, more bad for him on a lot of the things that he missed out on, you know, while he was fighting this fight against the government. Um, but he was a man of, of, of deep conviction. And he fought for the things that he believed in to the exclusion of a lot of other things that a lot of other people may have placed as a priority. I mean, his own personal comfort, his own family. I mean, my father worked very, very hard. I mean, he spent, you know, every day he worked weekends. He never took a vacation. And even though he didn't pay taxes, I mean, he I mean, he didn't do anything. I mean, he didn't. I mean, he took a few vacations and but he drove an old car. You know, he lived in an apartment. He never had any of the trappings of of wealth or anything. Um, And and that wasn't, you know, what he was trying to do. He was fighting for a cause. And, And so, you know, I mean, he did what he wanted to do. He touched a lot of people. He influenced a lot of people. A lot of people today, you know, email me about my father. I, I meet them and they tell me how he influenced them. So I think he built a legacy. I mean, my children uh, don't really know him. I mean, uh, but they will be able to get to know him from his books. He he does have, you know, I still maintain his website, Uh There's a lot of uh, his uh, radio show that he did. He did a... Um, uh, online radio show. So, I mean, he can still speak to my children that way. And so my children can get to hear him. I mean, maybe his personality doesn't come out as much. He was great with kids and he was, you know, did magic and he was a great, he played the guitar and he sang and he danced. I mean, he had, you know, he was a great guy. Uh, but you know, he got, his life got consumed like, you know, like Ahab, you know, in a whale, you know, he just, you know, was on this uh mission
1: how do you resist because you, you know in some sense uh i think we're all you know our parents children how do you resist that temptation either you know wh- what do you do to avoid the pitfalls that your father yeah.
2: done? i mean well look i mean i saw how my father lived his life and that wasn't the life that i wanted to live uh you know i wanted a i wanted you know a lot of stuff that my dad didn't have not just material stuff but i wanted to have more time for personal things and and so but i still wanted to you know carry the torch in the message of limited government and the constitution and sound money so i took a lot of the economics that i learned from my dad and i and i and i brought that to a greater audience than he did you know a lot more people you know know me than knew my dad mm-hmm. Um, and so I've you know achieved a, a degree of notoriety that, that exceeds what he had mm-hmm. um, but you know I didn't pay the price personally I mean I'm I'm, I'm paying my taxes although now I'm not paying that much because I right. live in Puerto Rico so um, you know and so this is you know I, I'm playing within the IRS rules instead of trying to yeah. you know play by the Constitution and force the government to obey the law you know by the way I you know I, I said I didn't get anything from my dad. Look, this this ring here was my dad's. Mm -hmm. And he wore this ring all the time. He had another one, which I don't know what happened to, but I have this ring Mm -hmm. and it's made of gold. So Mm -hmm. that's, you know, you can't, you know, you can't give your kids a a Bitcoin ring, but you know, I almost lost this ring. I was swimming in in the beach out front of my house, my condo. And I went into, actually, I was on the sand and I took my, my seven-year-old and I, he was doing something with my five-year-old, I don't know he's throwing sand at her. So I picked him up, and I walked out. I threw him into the ocean. And when I threw him, I had been swimming, and my ring just went flying off my finger, I guess. Oh, no. And it went to the bottom of the ocean. <laughs> and I was like, shit, I spent like a couple hours with some friends. We're trying to find it. We're sifting around the sand, and I, I can't find it. So I, was like, I, thought, I thought I lost the ring. But then I, I, I put something on this Facebook page, uh, an Act 2022 20, group, and someone said, hey, call up the ring finders. There's a couple of them in Puerto Rico. So there's a website, Ring Finders. So I found this guy in San Juan and I told him where I lost the ring. I was like, no problem, I'll find it. And he came with an underwater metal detector, went into the ocean, and within five minutes, he found the ring. Yeah. <laughs> uh, buried under the sand in the ocean. Yeah, I had that experience. But, uh, that. So it was there for a day, but I got it back. But you yeah, back, but I, mean, I have a few other things. I have some artwork that was my dad's, I have some other. Possessions that he had that remind me of my dad. That you know, I'm, I'm glad that I have them.
1: How do you manage your time? You speak at all these things before COVID, and even now with your uh, podcast, Shift Report, Shift Radio, uh, you have yeah. all, all your businesses. How do you do? Because I suffer from that, Peter. i have not a master level of wealth or success, but with my kids and my wife, you know, and I think like every time I say yes to do something, I'm telling a two year old, "No, I'm not going to be there for whatever." So how do you? You've got young kids, you've got grown kids. And you have a wife. How do you balance your time and do all the things you do um, and and know what to say no to? Because you must say no a lot. Although you didn't say no to this. Maybe you should have. In retrospect.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, my grown kid is only 18. So he still has a lot of growing. Obviously, a lot of mental growing since he's into Bitcoin. Um, but, and you know, and again, the the primary motivation, I you know, they said, oh, this guy had sailor on. So I watched your sailor interview and I was like, God, this guy's off the deep end. And it's not that he's not an intelligent guy. I mean, I'm sure Saylor has a higher IQ than I do. I mean, the guy is, I mean, he's not, I'm not saying he's a dummy. He right. obviously can't be, but he's got some kind of screw loose or it's all BS. I mean, that's, see, I never know when I hear somebody talking like this about Bitcoin. I don't know. They should, people should have to be hooked up to lie detectors when they're talking about Bitcoin because I have no problem. I mean, i, I you know, I'll do a debate with some Bitcoin guy and I'll have a lie detector on. And I mean, I'm completely honest, but you get somebody, a Bitcoin guy, because everybody says, oh, Peter, you know, he's not objective, right? Because he sells gold. I mean, first of all, gold is a small part of my business and I can't move the price of gold. No matter what I say, gold market is so big and so liquid, I cannot move the price of gold. If I said, hey, I put all of my net worth into gold, I'm going to put every dollar I have into gold every every day. I mean, it's not going to change the price of gold. <laughs> right? But- they give these Bitcoin guys a complete pass. When they have an entire business built around Bitcoin, they have all their life savings in Bitcoin. And then they come on there and talk about how great Bitcoin is and how everybody should buy it. And it's going to the moon. And nobody questions their objectivity. You know, when they used to let me on CNBC, which mm-hmm. I haven't been on for years. And at this yeah. point, I wouldn't even go on if they invited me. But when they were inviting me on, whenever I came on and talked about gold, Somebody who I would say, "Oh, bullshit! You're just saying that. You're just trying to sell gold. You, you know, you're just, you know, talking." They always accuse me of of of, of having a bias, which I didn't. I, I tell I encourage people to buy gold because I think they should. And by the way, I'm not selling my own gold. I'm not selling any of my gold. I'm hodling gold. An, as you're hodling an, right. you're a, as your an gold. intermediate. But I see on CNBC every single day, all throughout the day, one guest after another touting Bitcoin because they're from the Bitcoin industry, right? And their whole life is based on Bitcoin going up. And they they spew all kinds of nonsense. And not once have I ever heard anybody say, oh, come on. I mean, are you just saying, I mean, you come on, you're so biased. I mean, what else are you going to say? You know, no one ever does that. And in fact, the other thing that's funny is when I used to come on CNBC and talk about inflation or potential hyperinflation or, you know, the dollar being debased or the Federal Reserve. But I had all that stuff I was saying. And then I would say, oh, you should buy gold. Oh, that's crazy. That's nonsense. (laughs) That's never going to happen. Yet everybody that goes on to tout Bitcoin, they can say all the stuff that I used to say. And they never get any flack. It's oh, okay, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. So if you think people should buy gold, you're not able to go on CNBC and tell people, why? I guess don't make fun of you. But as long as you're touting Bitcoin, you can say whatever you want, and <laughs> nobody is going to question you. No at the same time, because everyone on CNBC, they're all bullish on the stock market. They love the Fed. They love fiat money. But they also love Bitcoin. They yeah. want every they want everyone in their audience. You know what's funny? And then, I make- see, no, and, and then I see Grayscale, their biggest advertiser, advertising and I think, okay, well, that makes sense now. I mean, obviously they want that ad money to keep on flowing. And so how does how does Grayscale get the money to buy all these ads from all the people dumb enough to buy into the trust? (laughs) So they they don't want anybody to come on to say, oh, maybe Bitcoin's, you know, maybe it's going to crash. Maybe these guys are not being honest. So that's where you have all the bias. The bias is not me. I'm not biased against Bitcoin. It's all these other people that their entire life depend on Bitcoin who are biased in favor of it. I'm just being objective.
1: And well, no, but but Peter, you know what they say that you know uh, Richard Feynman, greatest physicist, some say of the 20th century, said the first principle is you must not fool yourself. And the second principle is, you're the easiest person to fool. In other words, we all have confirmation bias. We all have some cost fallacy. that we're, because we're human beings, even scientists, you know, oh, you're a scientist? Let's listen to the scientist. No, I'm like, don't listen to me because a scientist, Peter, is the least likely person to trust other scientists. That's what our job is, is to not trust you and to not listen to experts. As Richard Feynman said, uh, you know, science is the belief in the ignorance of experts. I want to ask you, um, you know, thinking back, whenever I see Bitcoin, The funniest thing to me is that they always show it as a gold coin. It kind of like undermines its own.
2: That's part of the fraud. I mean, that's why you mine Bitcoins, right? You don't actually mine them. You solve a mathematical problem, right? How is that mining? Yeah. But they wanted to make believe that this is alchemy. This is the fraud. That's why I call it fool's gold Mm -hmm. is because they're representing it as if it were gold. And yes, Bitcoin replicated a lot of the properties that gold has that made it a better form of money than cattle or salt or you know or or or, or wheat Rain. or anything else you yeah. know whatever could have been used as money. And so Bitcoin replicated those qualities, but it doesn't represent the actual underlying value of gold, without which none of the other properties would have mattered. Dividing nothing doesn't matter, right? The fact that uh, you know it's fungible or immutable, or whatever these things are ultimately doesn't matter if 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 you don't have anything it matters to gold because you have a you have real gold you have a valuable sure. metal so right. it, you know so, so that the whole thing is a fraud but if you're talking about confirmation bias yeah it's all on the bitcoiners because their confirmation bias is the price i'm wrong because the price went up even though i never said that the price couldn't go up i just said that it won't stay up now yes i did not realize it would go up this much from the beginning. And maybe a lot of people who did buy it originally didn't think it would go this high. Maybe some of them did. But obviously, a lot of people bought Bitcoin and sold it when at 200 or or 1000 You know, they don't have it. They thought that was high and they got out. So I don't know. Right. So uh, my- and I don't know where I would have gotten out had I bought it, right? I mean, who knows? I mean, would I still own it if I got it? But, right. you know, yes, I didn't gamble on Bitcoin. And I could have. Right? And if I had put all of my net worth into Bitcoin and I held it all until today, would I be richer? Yes, of course. But how many people did put all their net worth? I mean, how I mean, if I had just put you know one percent and I did it you know when it was a thousand, or five, it would really, it wouldn't even make a difference, really, to me. I mean, obviously, if I put one percent of my net worth when it was a penny, yeah, it'd make a big <laughs> difference. But you know, if I'd have done it back then, I mean, it's not. I mean, and I've I've bought other things, I've bought other investments over yeah. the last five years right. that have ten x or twice. So I, but again, I didn't have my whole net worth in them because I diversified,
3: right?
2: You know, and so yeah, is there somebody that just bet it all on Bitcoin? They took a hell of a lot of risk doing that, right?
1: right. Well, and, I want
2: to and, ask you- and, you know,
1: yeah Yeah. about the about getting back to the scientific hypothesis so there's a question of what is science like just because somebody practices the scientific method even the great isaac newton the greatest physicist in history uh some say you know, he was prone to these confirmation biases, to this, this belief that astrology had something to teach people, uh, that you could do alchemy, that you could convert base metals into gold. But now in the 20th century, Karl Popper, famous philosopher of science, came up with what he called the demarcation hypothesis or, 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 or um, way of ascertaining or assaying literally what, uh, what constituted science, not whether or not it's right. But whether or not something is a scientific subject or if it's metaphysics or beyond derision so he came up with this criteria you probably know it it's called falsification so he said that like things that cannot be disproven are not scientific. In other words, something that can be proven. We don't prove things as physicists. We we don't have access to mathematical proofs the way a mathematician does. But we have to make do with what is presented to us in the form of evidence. And believe me, Peter, there are a lot of people who say there are bubbles in physics. You wouldn't know this, but but in string theory, and the multiverse. <laughs> actually, you tweeted today. I responded to you. You tweeted about a parallel universe, and I I commend you for for being aware of the mult. But some say the multiverse is true. That parallel universes exist in space and time, and space and time. And how do you know that that's not science? Well, other people say it can't be falsified because you can't prove that there aren't other universes. So they would say not that it's wrong. They would say it's not scientific. It's not a property. you can't
2: you can't disprove it. I
1: right. So how I mean, what would be for you? What would either falsify you know the bitcoin? What would constitute proof that Bitcoin is falsifiable and therefore not worthy of a teleological purpose as money or as a store of value? What would constitute,
2: you know, well, I think I think I the fact that it, it has no value in and of itself is proof that it, it can't be a store of value because you can't store what you do not have. Um, you know, it, it, it fails as a currency, and you've already uh, admitted that. Uh, it doesn't work as a currency. Uh, so that's, you know, that's obvious. Uh, and so then you're left with a store of value. But if it can't ever be a currency and that was the only supposed value it had, uh, then what, is, what exactly are you storing? You're storing a belief. You're storing faith. I mean, that's why you have all these people uh, in the Bitcoin community that you know that don't like fiat money. And I'm glad they at least know what fiat currency yeah. is. I mean, Bitcoin Bitcoin has basically popularized fiat. I mean, if, right. before Bitcoin, if you heard fiat, you thought about the automobile. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty much it. Fix but it now- Fix it again. Now, yeah, yeah. But so at, at least they've educated people about the whole concept of fiat money versus real money, which is gold. But what they don't get is that Bitcoin is, is, is also fiat, even though it's not, you know, created by a government. You know, at the end of the day, what gives fiat currency its value is confidence, its faith. It's my belief that other people will accept it in the future. If that confidence goes, then it doesn't matter what the government does. It's toast. Mm. So and that's why no fiat currency has ever survived. Mm -hmm. They have all collapsed. They all eventually revert to their intrinsic value, which is zero. The same thing is going to happen with Bitcoin. And it doesn't matter that you think the supply is limited. And, you know, of course, there's an unlimited supply of competitive cryptocurrencies. And everybody wants to say, oh, they're shit coins. You know, they, it's, I, I get a kick out of how everybody is criticizing Dogecoin. Well, you get, the same thing applies to Bitcoin. In fact, Dogecoin is better than Bitcoin. I can make a strong case that it's superior to Bitcoin, even though, of course, I don't recommend either one. But the fact is, there is no real scarcity when you, when you really look down at it. But even if you accept the fact that there's just a, there's just Bitcoin, And if all the other coins go to zero because they're worthless and Bitcoin's not, Mm. um, it's all about confidence. It's all about people are buying Bitcoin today because they believe somebody else will pay more for it tomorrow. That is the only reason I'm buying it. If I no longer have that belief, then I don't want it. And if I don't want it, neither does anybody else. Mm. And since Bitcoin's intrinsic value is zero, just like fiat paper money. It's fiat digital money. When the confidence is lost, so is all the market value. So Bitcoin is is fiat. You know, in in that sense, uh, gold is not. Gold is real. Gold is actual metal uh, that objectively has value. It may have different value to different people, and that's what forms a market. You know, you have a a, a demand curve based on people's preferences, how much they value gold versus other things, but gold has a value that can't be denied. Mm-hmm. Uh bitcoin's only value is the fact that it might go up. I want to take a <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah, 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 we we have a lot of uh, you we're only 50 followers away from 1000. The inflation yeah. of Peter Schiff's fan base is expanding and I take some credit for that. Okay, Peter, so I'm going to take a question right.
2: from a friend of mine. Well, they got to they also got to follow me on Twitter and YouTube yeah. and cuz yeah, right you- now right now I'm not doing anything on uh, on on Clubhouse, one day I might, other than this, but yeah. I think it
1: offers a really cool thing. It has the ability to have connection to people like you, you're a celebrity and I'm an ordinary person, but you also have no censorship. I, I found this out when I was at Eric Weinstein, who's an economist, he's also a physicist, et cetera. And we were over at his house, I was at his house for when I went on Bitcoin just a week ago, less than a week ago, and he broke through a million followers, and I was like, "Wow!" And I said, "You know what? Congratulations! This means you can prove that YouTube and Twitter are a million shattered. followers on what? On what Clubhouse? Platform? On Clubhouse?
2: Who has a million follow? Oh, oh, I mean Musk? No, this is Eric Weinstein. He's a, a friend of mine. He's a physicist. He's he I didn't be- even know there was that. There's that many people even on uh, Clubhouse already.
1: Oh yeah, there's mil- there's six million or more. You have to be on invited and blah blah blah. But my point uh-huh. was that the reason I think it should appeal to you, Peter, is that you're probably Going to have a big following, and it may even be bigger than the number of followers you have on the traditional social media networks because they do shadow ban people like you once you reach a certain level of prominence. And that proved to me when Eric broke through a million followers in the less than six months that he was
2: being banned because he only has a. Oh, I didn't out. even think it's been around for that long. I thought yeah, it it's just went like so since last. No,
1: yeah, <laughs> I, I resisted it because I was like, "Do I need another social network that has my phone number and like gives out all my information?" Yeah. Anyway, I want to talk to a friend who's in Nigeria. And his name is Kunli Kunli, can you unmute? And uh, you have a question for Peter Schiff, Kunli. I uh, don't so really. Okay.
3: I'm, I'm just learning, thank you.
1: Okay, good, from Nigeria. Um, now, uh, we have other questions. I'm gonna take another one, I'll take this. Yeah, no, I
2: know that if people who are on uh, Clubhouse, once we finish this conversation, it's over on Clubhouse, right? It's Correct. not like recorded. But if some if somebody like missed the beginning, uh, you know, or they want to tell their friends, then they got to go to YouTube. YouTube, yeah, and I'll and send you can, the video. You can listen, yeah.
1: Yeah, you can put it yeah. on your YouTube channel. I'll send you the video um, because I, I kind of, I invented, you know, parallel streaming recording to club, <laughs> I don't know if we did or not, but I like you, yeah. That's part of the virtue of it because you can say things; it's not going to be recorded. But now you see the traditional media are going against. Uh, clubhouse saying it's you know it's dangerous because it's not recorded and and the fact checkers can't check and blah 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 i think it's uh i think it has a lot of vitality until that actually happens
2: um okay next well somebody could record it on their own right so if you're a fact checker you can have your own recording device and you can record what's happening on clubhouse Mm -hmm. so just because it's not being recorded by the app doesn't mean other people can't be reporting it on their end so
1: that's true that's true so i'm going to invite someone up who's um, obviously impartial and his name is Hoddle. Uh, oh, clearly. <laughs> hoddle, Hal Finley. Uh, <laughs> do you want to come up on stage here? And I will invite you to be as. Why do I keep. I have a fat finger. Peter, uh, yeah, well, you so know. Fat know.
2: finger screws things I'm ho- up. I'm, I'm hoddling too. I'm just hoddling my gold, right? So. <laughs> hoddle. Alley, how are you, sir? Hoddle. Is it Hoddle or Hoddle? Maybe he could tell us what the. I don't know.
1: Let's is. ask him. Hoddle,
2: how do you pronounce it's your name? It's Hoddle. Hoddle, I would say. Um, oh, well, I I you're know. guessing, though. You're not even sure. All right, he has a question for you, Peter. Go ahead, <laughs> All right. so Young, young Spencer, uh, the
4: better shit, in my opinion. I uh, tend to like to dunk on you on Twitter. How do you feel about that?
2: Well, you know, obviously, I, I, it, I don't. It's not bother. It doesn't bother me because I clearly invite a lot of it because I, I, I tweet a lot about about Bitcoin, and I know that's going to ruffle feathers. But you know, a lot of people don't even care. It doesn't even matter what I tweet. Usually the first response is making fun of me for Bitcoin. So it doesn't matter what I tweet about. Uh, it's these Bitcoin guys that want to, you know, I, I get a kick out of, you know, when they tell me to have fun staying poor. Uh, in case you know, I ain't poor. And, and you know, I, I don't need any Bitcoin, even if it goes up. I mean, I'm not going to get poor because I don't have Bitcoin. I mean, people keep saying that Bitcoin is going to suck away all my wealth. Look, there's nothing that I own that I will trade for Bitcoin. So I got a I got a lot of stuff, mm. and if you want my stuff, you ain't gonna get it if all you got is Bitcoin. <laughs> okay, I right, haven't taken any of it. But go ahead. You'll
3: have to go to Spencer in a few years
2: and you know asking for a
3: loan.
1: Well, yeah, Spencer, <laughs> I just gotta teach him about the fifth commandment, Peter, to obey <laughs> thy father, honor thy father, and Look, I,
2: Yeah, I like it how the Bitcoin community values the uh, advice of an eighteen-year-old. You know, it's like I, in fact, I did a poll one time on Twitter, <laughs> knowing what how they were gonna respond, and I was like, you know. Who do you want to trust? An 18-year-old kid who's never had a job or a 57-year-old professional who's been working for 30 years, managing money, all this experience, knowing that everybody was going to say, that. I said, who do you trust? Experienced, professional, the kid. <laughs> and like everybody, like I got so many votes because they thought, aha, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hack his poll and we're all going to vote the kid, which exactly is what I wanted them to do because I knew they were going to do that. <laughs> but, to, but to show them how ridiculous it is, when you're young and inexperienced, you make a lot of mistakes. Maybe if I was still eighteen, I would have been buying Bitcoin too. That's the thing. It's when you're older. I'm not a dinosaur. I'm not some dumb boomer who doesn't get technology. What I get is bubbles. What I get is investments, money. Uh, I, I get. A, I've I've been through a lot of uh, bubbles. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've lost a lot of money. I've made a lot of money. You know. Mm-hmm. So you know. I have. I ha- There's some. There's value to experience. Every generation thinks they know more than the generation before them until they get older. And then they realize how little they knew and that their parents weren't that dumb. Right. Now they're confronting the same problem. But you know what? I have no problem with young kids losing money in Bitcoin. It's a valuable lesson. And then when they get older and their kids want to do something dumb, they'll be able to say, listen, son, I remember when I was your age and I got all caught up in this Bitcoin thing really bitcoin what's that oh let me tell you, you know?
1: <laughs> didn't they say peter, <laughs> don't they say that the first loss is the best loss because you yeah, got out
3: when
2: <laughs> yeah and you know when you're young you don't have a lot of money i i, I feel badly for older people that put their retirement money into bitcoin that's going to be a disaster
3: so we
1: have uh cory swan do you want to ask your question to peter Schiff? yeah sure
4: so first off welcome to clubhouse it's good to have you on here i think it's um it is light years ahead of Twitter as far as uh, sort of keeping a sense of decorum and sort of humanity when it comes to debating uh, topics that can get contentious. Uh, and people on opposite sides of Bitcoin debates always sort of uh, tend toward being contentious. So yeah. I-, I think it's great that you're here. I think it'll be really interesting. Kudos to Brian for bringing you here and also for being, you know, probably one of the few people that would have. Uh, Michael Saylor and Peter Schiff uh, as interview subjects within a few weeks of each other. So that's pretty cool. Thank you. Um, I also uh, started what is uh, by far so far the most active uh, and most listened to club about Bitcoin on this platform. And I'm also the CEO and founder of SwanBitcoin.com, which as a business model is basically the exact same thing as what you've been doing with gold for many years. We just sell Bitcoin. And
2: entire- how do you sell Bitcoin? Can anybody just buy it? Why do you why do you a salesman?
4: You don't. Is a, you know, all you do is you educate about Bitcoin. You don't spend a dime on marketing. We just put out YouTube shows and podcasts and spend time
2: on clubhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Because what I actually do like is shift gold. And when I actually have to go and buy the gold from a wholesaler and then I turn around and I sell it uh, you know to the retail, you know, to the to the customer. But so yeah, you're just you're just educating people. I mean, again, from my perspective, you're indoctrinating them or brainwashing them, but anyway, that's a different. <laughs>
1: he kept it clean so far, Peter. Peter, yeah. Corey is one of the most respected people in the Bitcoin yeah. space. Go ahead, Corey. Yeah, look,
2: I look. And, you know, maybe you oh, look. I mean, there are a number of people. Look, I have one of my best friends here in difference. Puerto Rico. Yeah, is yet. is like so into Bitcoin? I mean, it's just like his life. He's actually an artist, but he's more. I mean, he's like you know, most of his net worth. He's just a friend of mine that lives okay. here in Puerto Rico. I know a lot of Bitcoin people that live here. And this guy is very sincere. I mean, he is completely 100 percent, you know, he believes in it like, you know, he'll hodl to zero. I mean, if it actually goes to zero, this guy will go all the way down. Uh, so, yeah, you may be in the same situation where, you know, you completely believe everything you're saying about Bitcoin. I, I don't doubt there are some real sincere people that believe it. But I, 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 I do think there are a number of people out there that, that are saying things that they know are not true, but they're just, you know, trying to pump it up.
3: So you're talking a
2: little bit
4: about like you know credibility and motivations and things like that, but you know I am a pretty serious guy. You know Chicago Finance MBA and investor for many years. Worked for Google and Microsoft and the Kenley Morgan Stanley. So like I'm a serious dude that understands Bitcoin. I see myself you know essentially as a Bitcoin rationalist. And my you know my my reasons for not just believing but actually knowing and understanding what Bitcoin is. And it it's so interesting because it really it really is so similar to gold in certain ways. And, you know, I'll even see people attacking you on threads and saying, like, you know, things like, you know, gold is only valuable because people believe it's valuable. And it's like, well, no, it's not. Actually, gold became the best money that we'd ever had because of specific characteristics that gold has. Like, it's very scarce. It has that high stock-to-flow ratio. It has... Uh, You know, it doesn't degrade. It's
2: divisible. That's what made it good money. But but that's not what enabled it to be money, because money needs to be a commodity in and of itself. It needs to be just the most marketable, most liquid commodity without the inherent value of the gold itself. Those other properties that made it so ideal to function as money would not have mattered. I mean, in fact, you know, gold was already a luxury good that people wanted before people figured out that they could use it as money. I mean, money was kind of an invention, uh, but gold wasn't invented, gold was discovered, but the concept of money was an invention that was an improvement on barter. Uh, but I think Bitcoin is a step back, because as I said, right now, it's more of a barter transaction. Uh, but Bitcoin um, is, d- does not have the most important characteristic of gold. And that is its attributes as an actual metal, it, you know, without that, without, without the things that you can use gold for, it, it, it's nothing. And so Bitcoin is nothing. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's emulated, the other things.
4: There are a lot of people that talk about, you know, kind of the, the monetization of an asset and, you know, essentially the stages that you would go through as something progressed from let's say a collectible and then becoming a widely used store of value and then moving into kind of like a medium of exchange and eventually being a unit of account, which would be sort of like a full-fledged money if it fulfilled all three of those, um, you know, purposes. And so I think sometimes the disconnect uh, between, you know, people who are really into gold or even people that are are in the fiat. Fiat's great as a medium of exchange. It's awful as a store of value. Gold is awesome. Today, as a store of value, and, and pretty awful as a medium of exchange. From store of value, then becoming a widely used medium of exchange, and eventually, you know, a unit of account where you price goods and services in that asset. Where we sometimes see a disconnect, and I'm not saying this is, you know, why you necessarily dislike Bitcoin or don't don't subscribe to what we do. Uh, but we even see that Bitcoin today is early in its progression to becoming a big store of value. So we believe that it being widely used as a medium of exchange or a currency uh, is years away and eventually call it, you know, 15, 30 years, whatever, we'll actually be able to uh, to price goods and services in Satoshi's the smallest unit of Bitcoin. But that's decades away.
2: Right. Well that's that's your speculation. And I guess in order to make that happen there has to be a more efficient way to produce the energy because uh, otherwise it would just the, the sheer cost of, of, of trying to effectuate all those transactions and validate them, the amount of energy. I mean, I don't even think we have the capability, even if we didn't do anything else and devoted all of the energy on the planet to maintain the Bitcoin network. Uh, but obviously, you know, <laughs> things could evolve in the future, but then things could evolve to completely validate you know, the whole Bitcoin uh, ecosystem, so I, I don't know. But to get back to what you're saying now about it's proving to be a store of value. No, it's not. Has it proven to have a price that has appreciated? Well, absolutely, the price has gone up, but price is not value. They're very different things. In fact, I, I tweeted Warren Buffett's quote about price is what you pay, value is what you get. You can store value, you can't store price. Price is arbitrary, it can function around, you know, based on supply and demand. So what bitcoin has proven is that people will buy it at higher prices but it's not been a store of value i mean it, 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 people have on paper gotten rich and some people in reality because they've cashed out some people have you know made money but it's not storing value you know i mean there there i mean it, and when you see something go you know bitcoin just went from 10000 Dollars went or 20, you know, 10,000, it got above 10,000 and then it quickly went to 50,000. It went 5X. I mean, without hyperinflation, I mean, if we had seen, you know, all commodities go up 5X, you know, at the same time, uh, and then you could have said, okay, well, you know, but without any kind of big increase in inflation where other commodities maybe went up a little bit, that's not storing value. That's a speculative asset. That appreciated in price, but I don't see how you could take that speculative period of time and say this proves that you're storing value. I mean, because if I buy that today, you don't know. I mean, it could Bitcoin can go back down to twenty thousand very quickly. I mean, that was can the can you
1: say that you know? But how can it only count against Bitcoin? that it you know, doesn't have this uh, durability, this legacy, this history, if indeed you agree it's gone through some cycles, it's lasted longer than even, let's just say, the most recent bubble that we've uh, experienced in a large-scale dot-com bubble.
2: Uh, it lasted three or four times that length of the actual bubble. Well, again, I, I discount the, the early periods uh, where – you know, people were mining Bitcoin on their laptops and they were... Really- I'm saying
1: 2018. I mean, it collapsed. Yeah,
2: it, it, yeah, it really started in 2017. And, and so we've had four years of a roller coaster ride where Bitcoin went up to 20,000, went down to almost 3,000. Then, you know, had a big rally to maybe thirteen, fourteen thousand, 14,000, then came back down to almost 3,000 again. And then had this meteoric rocket ship ride up to 50,000 so far, who knows, you know, maybe it goes higher. We'll see where, where it ends up. But I think that there's going to be another spectacular move down. But the at some point, the move down is not going to stop. It's going to crash for good. It's not going to be resurrected. At some point, it's going to be the final curtain on Bitcoin. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you can say, no, that's not going to happen. Right. It's just going to no matter how many times it loses 70, 80, 90 percent of its value, it's always going to come back. You can speculate that just because it's come back a few times before, it's going to do it forever. I, I think that's that's a that, that that's, a, that's a big gamble to take.
4: Just as a thought exercise, just thinking about the volatility, what if we were in a world where there was no gold and then let's say gold appeared or an asteroid hit and all of a sudden there was like the same amount of above ground gold that we have today. What would the path be from zero to 12 trillion? Would it go in a straight line? Would it go straight to 12 trillion? What the values and what was good about gold and started to understand, okay, maybe I like this thing. Maybe I want to buy more of it. Would it would it basically have a, a volatile path to reaching
2: it. Well, a- look, you're, I mean, you're asking a, a crazed hypothetical because there's no way to just drop all the gold. No. I mean, are you talking about, is the gold now in the earth or do we now have all the gold already mined sitting in bars? We're actually watching the monetization of Bitcoin in real time right now. We are not watching the monetization of anything. All we're watching is a speculative bubble in a digital token. It is not being monetized. Nowhere on the planet earth is Bitcoin used as money. So we haven't seen anything. When you show me a future where salaries are in Bitcoin, rents are in Bitcoin, there's a Bitcoin bond market, there are insurance policies that pay off in Bitcoin, where governments are collecting Bitcoin. When you you show me a world or even a country that actually uses Bitcoin as money, where people accept Bitcoin not because they want it, but because they want to buy something else with it, you show me that and I'll say, okay, it's the, you, we're seeing the beginning of money. All we have right now is a speculative digital token that people are buying and hodling. That's it. It's no more money than Beanie Babies, right? It's the same thing. It's no more money than tulips. Well,
4: listen, the, the facts on the ground are that we are watching the monetization of Bitcoin over time. It will
2: reduce and volatility. That's what you hope. You're not watching that. Maybe you're seeing that, but that's not what you're actually watching. Your 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 judgment is clouded so you it's an illusion.
4: The trends the trends are that volatility is reducing.
2: No, it's not. It's still very volatile. Look it's Look it went up to 50,000 this morning and then dropped to 47,000. I mean, within an hour. I mean, even even in there, I mean, it's much more volatile than and, and, and we just recently had a big drop we had just what a few weeks ago or a month ago, we had like a 30%, 30% drop in a couple of days. It went from um, what, like 40,000 down to like 27,000 like in, in a day.
4: Well, I was actually going to go back, um, and we should try to hit like one topic at a time because I, now I want to go back to the energy thing. Uh, do you believe in free markets, including a free market for energy, Peter?
2: Yeah, I believe in free markets. I'm not trying to outlaw Bitcoin. I mean, people want to buy it. Go ahead. I'm not, I'm not saying you can't.
4: So what is your worry if people freely choose to mine Bitcoin using computers that use energy? Do you think? Oh, no, no.
2: I just I'm just commenting that it's a waste of resources. People are allowed to waste resources. But, you know, as a human being you know, I mean, we, I try to recycle. I mean, we do all kinds of stuff here. I mean, my wife is more on it than I am, but all of our baskets, we make sure we put things, you know, so I'm trying to conserve energy. I'm trying to do stuff like that. That's why I thought it was ironic, you know, that Tesla, you know, they get, they got $1.5 billion in environmental credits for helping to reduce, you know, the carbon because of, uh, their ele- uh, electric cars. And I own an electric car. I got And I got a high, so I got two really. Um, uh, but then they go ahead and they buy Bitcoin, which is squandering all sorts of electricity. Uh, so, yeah, I'm not saying it should be illegal to waste resources. I, you know, I, I, I just think it's a shame that we're wasting all those resources. That's all.
4: think It's maybe let's say, OK, hypothetical. If Bitcoin succeeds and obviously a lot of people think it's already succeeding today, is it worth some level of expenditure to have state-free money that can't be confiscated by the people with the guns and
2: the power? I don't think it's money. I don't think it's state-free. And I don't think it can't be confiscated. I mean, it's on the internet. It lives on the internet. It's much harder to confiscate gold. Uh, I mean, if the government... Gold actually, has been confiscated, Peter. haven't. No, a- actually, okay. So it wasn't confiscated. What Roosevelt did, and the reason that they did it is because he wanted to devalue the dollar. Because when Roosevelt asked Americans to turn in their gold. Uh, it was $20 an ounce. And after he got the gold, he, he devalued the dollar, and now gold was $35. In order to do this, he had to get everybody's gold. But they didn't send troops to people's homes and shake them down for their gold. They just said, if you have any gold, bring it in. But they didn't. And know, lots It was under penalty of, of arrest, right? I mean, lo- hold on. Lots of people did not turn in their gold. That's why there's still so many gold coins around today. Because the ones that got turned in got melted down. So a lot of people kept their gold and nothing happened to them. In fact, nobody went to jail for not turning in their gold. So it wasn't like, you know, but if they tried to get your Bitcoin, it'd actually be a lot easier to get your computer records and find out, oh, you, you know, that you, you, you have some Bitcoin. But if the government really wanted to outlaw Bitcoin, they could do it very easily. Uh, I, I don't think they're doing it because they're not afraid of Bitcoin. I mean, if they actually thought there was a lot of money laundering or tax evasion going on, that would bother them. They don't think it's a threat to their monetary system, to their fiat monetary system. If they did, they would have already shut it down. Uh, That's why I said a long time ago that even if Bitcoin succeeded, it would be a victim of its own success because the government would kill it. But I think it's going to die of natural causes. I don't think the government has to kill it. Because okay. all they have to do is outlaw it, and no, then it's then you drive it into the black market, and then then there's no there's no real use there. I, I obviously, I wish somebody had convinced me to buy it years ago, because I I would have bought some. But the problem is, I, I've heard I've heard these arguments from so many people for so many years. I haven't heard anything new, but yes, I agree that the whole time I've been saying it can't work. It's not money. It's a bubble. The entire time the price has been going up. And I've been there before. That happened with the real estate bubble. It happened with this dot-com bubble. I've been in that position before. I've seen it all happen before. I know how the movie ends. This one is particularly frustrating, though, because of the nature of it and the type of people who are buying it. So I think the Bitcoin bubble is more frustrating to me than the housing bubble or dot-com bubble. Um, And I think it's even more irrational.
4: But uh, I do want to address this idea that it's, uh, you know, one... Bitcoin is transmitted over the internet but it's actually a ledger and so you could turn off the internet and people would still have copies of the ledger on. You
2: know, yes, I, I get that aspect of it but obviously if people only have if, if your Bitcoin is just on a piece of paper or in your mind because you've memorized the, the whole thing, uh, it obviously has a lot less value to the people who want it than if you can you know transmit it through the internet because if they make it illegal, and you know, I mean, it's going to be very tough to use it to use it online when the government is, you know, seeing everything we do.
1: Well, actually, yeah, that's a positive thing. I think Corey, um, you, um, yeah. So one one thing I would say is actually the the claim that it's been used for all these illegal purposes and so forth, it's actually pales in comparison to the U.S. dollar's use in illegal purposes in the black market. sector. Oh, yeah.
2: but the problem <laughs> is you can't you can't catch those. If I give somebody an envelope full of hundred dollar bills, I mean, unless you physically watch me do it. I mean, they don't know that I've done it. Mm. But if I'm going to send you Bitcoin over the Internet, I mean, there's going to be a trail there. You know, so, yeah, I mean,
1: actually protects it against being used in black markets. Who on the black market? But but, yeah,
2: but the black market is actually that is one of the only use cases that when I first heard about it right way back when the only thing that seemed to have some value to me was, you know, if it really is anonymous, even if it's pretty volatile and you lose 20 or 30% of the value during transactions, that's not a bad price to pay to launder your money. Because, you know, you launder your money the old-fashioned way, it costs a lot. I mean, they take, you know, 20 cents, 30 cents, 40 cents. I mean, you earn a dollar illegally, and you have people launder it for you. I mean, there's not a lot, you know, a lot of it comes out of the wash. So I thought originally, when I heard about Bitcoin, it was like, yeah, that would be the, you know, it's a way for me to transfer money uh, over a long distance not the money but value because I can buy some bitcoin send you the bitcoin you can sell it and even if you lose 10 twenty percent who cares you've got this laundered transaction no nobody can spy on you I snuck money out of the country so I thought that was the value of it initially but i wasn't you know I wasn't going to buy it based on the fact that I thought there was some value for you know people that wanted to launder money all
3: right sweet um, Peter thanks for doing this you know as these conversations have happened a lot in the past, and uh, it, it always seems like uh, the Bitcoin side and you are talking past each other. And, you know, there's many different elements of of this subject that we can, you know, zero in on and have a debate about. But I'm just curious, kind of like on a more macro level, what would it take for you to treat the people that you're engaging with as if they understood something that you do not yet understand what would it take in the form of a type of debate or respect for the other person or what would it take for you to treat someone as if they know something that you don't is basically my question
2: Thanks. well i don't know like what do they know that i don't know i mean That's not- i don't know that they know something about money or about economics <laughs> that
3: they did know something you don't know. What would it take for that to happen? Yeah,
1: it's sort of the falsifiability question I asked you earlier. I, don't, I mean, look, do there are falsify look the gold or your
2: hypothesis. Look, there are a lot of people that own Bitcoin that know a lot more about computers and programming and, and 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 a lot of stuff that relates to Bitcoin that I don't know. Right? I mean, they're gonna, you know, I mean, if they if you had an exam on Bitcoin, I mean, look, I, I lost my Bitcoin. I mean, how much did I know? Now, of course, the guy that set up my wallet for me never told me about my private key, he never told me my password. All he gave me uh, was a, 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 a pin. And that's Eric Voorhees, who I just, you know, you know, and he's like, oh, he knows so much about it. Hey, dude, why don't you give me my password? You know, you set up my wallet. You know, oh, you know, you what I asked him, oh, well, I assumed you would create a different wallet. Why assume that? I had the wallet you set up for me. But um, so, yeah, my, 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 my Bitcoin are lost in, uh, in cyberspace
3: just finish by saying this. I think this illustrates a great point. And I think oftentimes, outside of this debate and, of course, within it, our hubris, our ego, our assumption that we already know everything there is to know about a thing will keep us from actually understanding what's required to know about it in order to understand it. And I think when Peter mentions, you know, how he's interacted with the coins he was given in the past and his quote-unquote password, and when I hear him speak about this subject, it's very clear to me, that he has not taken the time to really do the work. And I assume that's because he's dismissed
2: it. Look, I thought about it seriously when I first, when I first, look, when I first heard about it and it was, I don't know, around $10, I can't remember exactly where it was. And I was like, you know, all right, but what's to stop somebody else from coming up with another cryptocurrency? Because back then that was it. Maybe there was Litecoin. I don't know if there's a couple others or maybe it was only Bitcoin. Um, But... Um I looked at it and I just said, look, this isn't going to work um, for all the reasons I still think it's not going to work. Then when you had that big move where Bitcoin all of a sudden went from 200 to 1,000 and people started talking about it and then it pulled back over a couple years, I actually thought about buying it. I mean, I thought about buying it not because I thought it was going to work, but because I was just looking at the chart. And I was saying, I don't know, maybe this thing's going to have another run. I mean, I just looked at it as a technical guy, and then I was, and then that's where I said, but you know, shit. I didn't want to buy it at ten dollars. Why the hell am I going to buy it at two or three hundred? I had a that was my emotional problem back then because yeah. I had rejected it at a really really low price, right? And I was like, well, now I'm going to pay this much, and gamble that it's going to go up. I was like, hmm. why? I mean, and so then I just right. I didn't want to do it, but I still. My re- my, the reason I thought about doing it back then was not because I thought it was going to work. I thought, it would, I thought it could rally and then crash again. A- and and, and I, I've never believed that it was going to work. No matter how much I learned about it, no matter how much people so much told ever- me about it, I still think they're wrong. I still think that it's never going to deliver on its promise. But what it has delivered is a big gain for anybody who bought it. And I don't know how much longer this is going to continue, you know, because it's obviously, you know, gone on for a long time. And, you know, a lot of people that initially made fun of it have actually gotten involved and some of that because they think they can make money off it. Some of these banks that now see money like they can be made off of Bitcoin, even if they don't necessarily believe in it, they believe they can make money off it.
1: Yeah. So, Um, well, Peter, yeah, I know you've been very gracious and generous for your time. There's millions of questions. I recommend that you do more. Now you've got... I, I, I like to over-promise and over-deliver, Peter. <laughs> now you've got 1.1 1. 1, thousand followers on Clubhouse. I recommend that you just do this. You open it up every now and then, and then uh, you'll get uh, you'll get some bio, but you get some amazing conversations that really, in some cases, like bring tears to my eyes to talk about God and religion on this channel. Let's go to the final questions I ask everybody. On the into the impossible podcast who honors me i've had billionaires like yourself jim simons peter oh, I'm,
2: uh, a, I'm not a billionaire yet so, peter uh, Diamandis. all right well the 1st getting is closer the though i'm getting closer the
1: first billion is the hardest take it from me no i, I don't really know that yeah i can
2: imagine yeah <laughs> <Public> <laughs> although what i mentioned earlier i mentioned earlier on the day you know that that um ray dalio you know yes. was followed me on uh, on this yeah, and maybe he listens to my podcast because he followed me the day after I mentioned it on my podcast. But he only follows six people, and I'm the only one that's not a billionaire. Wow. and he, So, so yeah, I've been good. I guess I'm in good company when it comes. So hopefully, hopefully within a few years, I'll I'll, I'll be able to be uh, on that list of billionaires. You yeah. Know?
1: Well, you know. Yeah. You... I,
2: maybe I would already be there if I bought some Bitcoin. But
1: <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's too easy. I'm not going to go there. But I ask all my guests to come on the Into the Impossible. Yeah, yeah. Ask these three questions and they're kind of deep philosophical questions we covered all this stuff you've been very generous but I want to ask you the following first question which is looking into the future when you reach the biblical age of 120 that Moses himself died at before getting into the promised land I always point out he left what's called an ethical will (laughs) So Alfred uh, Nobel did the same thing. I talk about this in my book, Losing the Nobel Prize. Alfred Nobel left a will because he had no wife, no children, no, no ex-wives. And he uh, gave all his money basically this prize. But, and, uh, and it had to do with an ethical imprecation that you should not only do things in science for its own purpose, that you should do things uh, for the benefit of all mankind. I want to ask you, Peter, when you uh, reach the age of 120 and you depart this mortal coil, what ethical wisdom? What what wisdom? Not monetary wisdom. Now, what are monetary bequeathments or, 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 um, or for your monetary heirs? What do you want to leave the world in terms of wisdom that you've gleaned in your life?
2: Well, you know, first of all, I hope that if I can live to one hundred and twenty, at some point they will discover some way to uh, youthen me or clone me or <laughs> so, do something that I could end up living even longer than that. Uh, you know, uh, so yeah, I mean, because a lot could happen. You know, I'm not going to be 120 for a while. Yeah. So uh, if I can make it to that age, you never know. Maybe I can make it to a thousand. So you know, like, right, like there's probably a better chance of that than Bitcoin becoming uh, money in the world. Um, <laughs> not
1: everything but, has to be about Bitcoin, though.
2: Don't worry. But look, I, like I, I certainly help that I leave the world uh, in a in a in a better place. Uh, not necessarily that I found it, but that the world is better because I was a part of it. You know, we're all here for a very short period of time and and, and then we're gone. right? Um, And and so to the extent that we could do something that endures beyond our lifetime, um, I mean, that's rare. I mean, most people are forgotten uh, when the last person that remembered them dies. I mean, that they interacted with. I mean, that's what happens. I mean, to everybody, except those rare individuals that managed to achieve something where their name and their legacy goes on. And, and, you know, and and so, yeah, I mean, I I would hope that that would happen uh, to me that, you know, people will look back on me. And I think now, I mean, now it's a lot easier because obviously uh, there's not that many people from a thousand years ago, 500 years ago, but a thousand years from now, it's going to be very easy to know what we were doing back back in the day because it's all there. Yeah. I mean, all this data is not going anywhere. I mean, you want to find something from a thousand years ago, you got to dig it up. You're <laughs> going to be an archaeologist, or so you got to find something. Right. I you mean, can
1: hear their voice, you can't see their their face. Can you
2: imagine? Like I can. You imagine? Like you know, we have history classes today. And we only have, I mean, we have ancient history that's not that much, but you know, you have modern history. But can you imagine in a thousand years having to go to a history class, all <laughs> the stuff you got to learn? Because there's so much information that a thousand years of computers. Right. Although maybe, maybe by then we won't have to learn anything. We'll just upload all the data right into a chip in our heads. And so we'll just know everything, right? All this, everything that's been done will we'll, right. we'll be there. Yeah, but, I, you know, yeah. I mean, I hope that, you know, my grandchildren or great grandchildren will, be able to say, yeah, you know, uh, talk about their dad and maybe even my dad too. Maybe, I mean, I think my dad could live on for the things that he did. I mean, I didn't invent anything. I mean, I'm not somebody that, you know, I didn't come up with some revolutionary invention, you know, I didn't cure any disease, you know, but, but I think I did help educate a lot of people. You know, I get a lot of emails still today, uh, from the Occupy wall street video I did, you know, Mm -hmm. it's got millions and millions of, I just put it up on my channel a few years ago and I got over 4 million views. But it's got a lot more than that from the original reason. But I mean, I think I've helped a lot of people evolve, uh, you know, uh, in their political uh, beliefs, uh, you know, going from socialist to free market. And so I think, you know, that's kind of, you know, more than what I'm trying to do now as far as in my business, trying to help people preserve their wealth in, you know, from what I think is coming, a major collapse of the dollar, major inflation, potentially hyperinflation. So I think there's a lot of wealth that's going to be lost, taxed away to inflation. And so I'm trying to help people. But I mean, that's thousands of people that I'm helping, maybe tens of thousands. But there are millions and millions of people that I can influence with knowledge you know, and get them to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, that will that will endure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, the, the problem, the problem, you know, you, you look back when it comes to science it seems that we, we always build upon, you know, what prior generations accomplished, right? We don't have to start from scratch, right? We don't, when we, we, if you're a mathematician, if you're a physicist, you don't have to start from day one, reinventing all these, everything that was learned, you've got from a thousands, right? But in economics, it's it's crazy because it's like we always, every gen, every generation starts from zero. It's <laughs> like they completely forgot all the experience of their ancestors and they just make all the same mistakes. I mean, the knowledge, you know, we're not any smarter than than we were hundreds of years ago as a society. So it would be nice if that were to change because we could have tremendous progress if the world could reject socialism once and for all and never go back, never repeat a failed experiment. You know, that would be a a milestone in human achievement. Uh, Because, you know, imagine if we could have maintained in America the same type of economic freedom that we had, you know, let's say at, at the end of the 19th century, if government had gotten no bigger than it was then, and we enjoyed the same amount of economic freedom, imagine the world that we would live in today. I mean, I you can't because it would be it would be it was it would be so spectacular compared to what what we got now.
1: <laughs> it's funny in science. I'll joke. Nobel Prize winner Max Planck said, "Physics or science advances one funeral at a time." But even though Marx, you know, by the way, Marx was the object, one of the objects of Karl Popper's derision. So we talked earlier about falsification, hypothesis testing, astrology, and so forth. But, you know, I always point out, you know, he hated, Popper hated astrology and Marxism, dialectic materialism, uh, because he claimed they couldn't be falsified. Because you'd always say, well, this time is different in Marxism. You know, we're always going to relearn these lessons again and again. And I like to point out that there's a lot more astrology columnists and astrologers in the world than astronomers, and there's a lot more Marxists than, than capitalists, and so I feel like Popper himself has been yeah. falsified in a sense. I'm the co-director of the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination at UC San Diego, and we like to talk about the different laws that Arthur C. Clarke sa- said, one of which you might have heard before we opened every podcast with it, and it's that any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. The second law, or the next law, is that for every expert, there's an equal and opposite expert. And the third law is the only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. And that's how I came up with the name of the podcast. So I want to ask you, Peter, what in your life was mysterious as a 20-year-old, a 30-year-old, but makes sense to you now because you had the courage to go See, into the
2: impossible. I was about to answer your question until you said it makes sense to me now because I was <laughs> going to say women. And and I they, they didn't make sense to me then and they still don't make sense to me. I think I may know a little bit more about them, but they're still a bit of a mystery. Um, But look, I mean, I don't really know beyond that. I mean, you know, my dad kind of put me on the right, you know, path early in life when it comes to economics and so you know i didn't have that journey from you know being a socialist to discovering you know free markets and i've been libertarian ayn ran you know all my life so that's just been my uh my perspective but look i'm not venturing into you know fantasy land because that's what i think happened with bitcoin right i just think it's all you know i i'm here in reality i'm not living in this fantasy world uh where i think uh people are there. I mean, I mean, in fact, not just fantasy. I mean, people there, you know, I mean, they're, they're a crazy town, you know, and I, you know, I, I, I'm just not going there, you know? Um, okay. So you, you can try, you can try to coax me in, you know, you had sailor on there and he had his analogy of an igloo. Come on in this great igloo. And then he said, Peter Schiff is out there saying, yeah, yeah. Stay out of that igloo. You know, like, like, you know, um, you know, the, the, he, I think he probably has the analogy backwards or, you know, um, but it's that, that there's this crazy, it, that's crazy town is where, is, is where they're trying to, they're trying to get people. In All that, right, you Peter. Know.
1: Well, I do want to thank you. Uh, you've had a great influence on, on me. I don't agree, but that's okay. We can always ad- agree to disagree. I don't agree with everything you say. I listen yeah. religiously to your podcast and follow you. And everybody should on Twitter now on Clubhouse, thanks to me. I'm hurting my back, my shoulder, patting myself on the back. Peter, I want to thank you so much for the courage you've displayed throughout the years. You've been very prescient on some things, and some things you, uh, you you've you've had a, a challenging record on. But I do salute your your courage and your on- honesty and your integrity to uh, to talk to people who differ with you. And I and I hope this was done in a respectful manner. Peter, thank you so much. All right, take
2: care. And you, yes, you were very polite and respectful.
0: Any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. If you enjoyed this episode of Into the Impossible with Professor Brian Keating, please subscribe, comment, share, and review. Watch on YouTube, listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher. We appreciate hearing from you and are always open to your suggestions for future episodes. For more information and to sign up for Professor Keating's mailing list, go to briankeating.com. Follow Professor Keating on Medium and Twitter at Dr. Brian Keating, D.R. Brian Keating. For more information on the Clark Center, go to imagination.ucsd.edu. Into the Impossible is a production of the Arthur C. Clark Center for Human Imagination at the University of California, San Diego in the Division of Physical Sciences. Eric Viri, Director. Brian Keating, Co-Director. Produced by Brian Keating and Stuart Balco.